Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Friday, February 23rd. 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Twas the night before Christmas, <laughs> and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, right? Not even Cheeto Jesus. Mm. It is the night before the South Carolina primary, and it feels different. And the reason to me it feels different is we've only got two candidates. And even more unique to that, one is a former governor of South Carolina. And even more unique than that, she ain't going to win her home state. I mean, that's kind of the oddity of this. The, the one, one of the oddities, first oddity, Reb, we don't have five or six candidates, you know, making their way to South Carolina with a chance to be the Republican nominee. We've only got two. And it's not been very much policy. I mean, there's not been a lot of discussion about policy. I read this morning where Caton Dawson, former chairman of the GOP, um, it would have been Caton and then Karen. Yeah, Caton came before Karen, and um, and he said, you know, because of the unique circumstances that our state's primary finds itself in, there's not been a lot of debates and policy discussions. It's more personality. Isn't that kind of what we say is Trump's strong suit? I mean, he has a tendency to make these things about personalities. And, I mean, I, I played this out of my head a million times. And I'm a fairly decent retail politician. I don't know how you go after Trump. I mean, I, I just, you know, how do you, how do you, you go after Trump without insulting his voters? I mean, the, 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 the market at large, and I'm talking about the political world, has decided that Trump voters are not worthy of the... <laughs> humane treatment we give uh, some of the other voters they decide to insult and you know disparage and marginalize the the intelligence you know are they cultist or not i mean imagine voting for a guy and believing that you got to defend yourself that you're not a member of a cult you know i'm not a cultist i'm a trump voter but i'm not a cultist um here would be an interesting academic exercise what is the average iq of trump voters compared to those who are not. I mean, I think that, I mean, we'd never know the answer to that. That's why I like asking the question. But I mean, I, you know, to, to, to believe the Trump voters are a bunch of just dummies who are so easily misled, I think it's the reason he's probably <laughs> as successful as he's been. Uh, kind of not, you know, <laughs> underestimating the, the energy. Um, I was tweeting this morning with a former Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor. I think she ran with James Smith when he ran governor and she was talking about in her tweet she said i just sense a closer race there's something that tells me i mean nikki's drawing big crowds i think yesterday in myrtle beach she had a sizable crowd in greenville sizable um crowd and 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 you know this lady is kind of believing that this thing could get a little closer than she's imagining and i just no i don't think it'll be closer i mean the magic number 60 40 you know is it if it's, if it's less than 60-40, I mean, I mean, how do you leave, Rev? How do you leave your home state getting beat by 19 points and consider that a good day? I mean, you can't. Yeah, you don't. You can't. I mean, I mean, if you, they, and you say, if you say that's how you feel, you're lying. But, I mean, that's the, that's the benchmark. I, I know. Mean, that, that's kind of where we've all landed. I know. I think Robert said yesterday, mid-20s. Yep. I mean, that's 62-38-ish. So, if, if Nikki gets beat 58-42, to 42, in her home state, how is that success? I mean, there's nothing successful about that. I mean, it, you know, it's just it's odd, bizarre that we've gotten here. And I responded 
to the tweet. And here's where I stood the entire time. I've never argued that populism is a coherent governing philosophy. I've never said that. I've never said, hey, you know, here's what we do when we govern via populism. I mean, I think populism is, I mean, it's obviously a part of American politics. It's been, it's long been a part of American politics. Here's what I do know. As much as we don't believe it's a coherent governing philosophy, it is an just undeniable, intense political energy. It may not be conservatism. It may not be liberalism. It may, may not be, you know, moderate government. But once you light the fire of a populist candle, it burns brighter than anything else. It is unbelievably intense. And when I responded to the former candidate for lieutenant governor, I said, you've run for office. You had a base. I've run for office. I had a base. Trump has a following. It's not a base. It's a following. And it's intensely loyal, intensely dedicated. And when people say that Trump's electability should be a concern in the general election, okay, there's some voters who just aren't going to vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance. Some Republicans aren't going to vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance. But to say that Nikki is more electable, you're arguing that the Trump voters will come back out in November who aren't aligned with the, the Republican Party. I mean, they've not gone to meetings. They've not done the legwork. I mean, they're, they're, they're being introduced to some of that, and I'm glad. I mean, I think they're there for the taking. I mean, they're there to be, you know, wooed in, but they're not there yet. They're Trump voters. And if Nikki is the nominee, the better question is, can she win without the support of, you know, 66% of the party, and a half those could stay could stay home. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. I got a couple of calls. Verd in Marlboro County. Good morning, Verd. Good morning, man. Uh, yeah, great day coming up tomorrow for President Trump. Uh, Marlboro County, we finished out early voting last night with 725 uh, people voted in early voting. Uh, that's 88 short of where the Democrats did in their whole election. So, uh Sometime within a few minutes in the morning after the polls open, Donald Trump's going to become the first president candidate, in my knowledge, Republican to win Marlboro County in history, which is going to be pretty good. And we hope we can put Biden down two to one, possibly three to one tomorrow. And that's going to be a tremendous thing for Marlboro County. And it noted as being a, Republican, a Democrat county for a long time. But no, I, I ran it yesterday in Edgefield. I had the second voter in nine months since I've been working with President Trump to tell me that they were going to vote for Nikki Haley. And I saw the first uh, Nikki Haley sign in Marlboro County, the only sign I've seen actually in Marlboro County yesterday. So I think it's going to be a big day tomorrow. I think it's going to be plus 30 points. Uh, I just do not see, you know, nine months traveling around the state and hundreds and hundreds of articles I've written for President Trump. And I've only had two people tell me they were going to vote for Nikki Haley and only seen one of her signs. So I look for a great day. Uh, and it's going to be a big night tomorrow night when we're in Columbia with the next president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Bird, there are reports. You would be someone good to ask this. There are things I read that suggest African-American men or 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 asking about voting for Donald Trump. Do you see any of that out there? I do see that, Kim. I've actually talked to some of them, and uh, I've been around the early voting polls every single day these nine days, and uh, uh, I've had those conversations with people coming up, and they go right in and they are voting. Uh, the big thing I've seen is the t- tremendous number of senior citizens, single, I guess, widows, single men, and then uh, uh, older couples, uh, when they're coming up the ramp, I say, you know, I'm supporting President Trump, and 
working for his campaign. That's why we're here today. That's all I've heard for the past two weeks, the people that I talked with. And I was not there the whole time, but I was there every single day, one of the nine days, and for a few, for a few hours at the time. And uh, I, I just look, and of course it's in Marlboro County, it's a smaller county, but, you know, I look for Donald Trump to do really good, and uh, I hope tomorrow we can put up about 22, 2,300 votes. And uh, I, I doubt if Nikki Haley ever sees anything much above 25 or 50. I, I'll be fooled if I do. But uh, I just don't. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a strong uh, day tomorrow for President Trump, and uh, I think we've already had a strong early voting uh, uh, session for President Trump, and I, I just look for it to be a plus 30 win. And of course, Haley says she's not going anywhere, but I've never seen anybody that really wanted to get out of politics as much as Nikki Haley. But she's certainly doing it. She's got something in mind, maybe selling insurance or something. I don't know. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. I mean, I, I'm convinced of this, guys. I mean, I, you know. You, you, you wonder why Nikki stays. You wonder why Nikki stays. I'm convinced now that Nikki's job is to weaken Trump as much as she can. She knows there's zero chance she can win the nomination. She's not going to be, I mean, if something were to go sideways in one of these trials and Trump has serious trouble and let's say he goes to prison. I mean, you know, I think they do that if they could. They put him in prison. Somebody like DeSantis wins the convention. I mean, if they end up at a convention fight, I think Nikki has so disassociated herself with the Trump base, and that's a lot of the delegates, a lot of the, 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 the I don't want to say the donors, but the movers and shakers within the convention. I don't think Nikki could win a convention. That kind of goes back to the question you asked a few minutes ago. I mean, how do you campaign against Trump? Well, I, mean, he, I mean, she chose that path. That's the only path. Right. I mean, she had to create contrast. I mean, he's out of control. He's chaotic. He's all these other things. I understand why she did it, but, but once again, I'm convinced that Nikki's job now and I, I'm like, Verd, I don't know what the reward is. I don't know what the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is. But Nikki's job now is to weaken Donald Trump as a general election candidate. It's not about Republican and Democrat. It's about her role in making sure he doesn't become president of the United States again. Uh, it's not the Republican Party. Understand, folks, there's a difference in the word T-H-E and T-H-E-I-R. It's not the Republican Party they support. It's their Republican Party they support and people who so passionately support Donald Trump are messing up their T-H-E-I-R control of their T-H-E-I-R Republican Party. I do need to announce this, and Rev and I have been a little bit curious about this set of circumstances. I woke up yesterday morning to a tweet from someone who professes to be um a media consultant and surrogate coordinator for Team Trump 24. And I told Rev about it. You think they're legit? I don't know. Don't have any idea. Kind of pretty. Um, but I don't have any idea if they're legit or not. Anyway, that person reached out to me again yesterday and scheduled to appear at 910 this morning is President Donald Trump. I've never spoken to this lady. I've never met this lady. This lady may be a fraudster. Uh, we don't know. I mean, social media gets crazy. Y'all know that. I mean, we all know that. But but she reached out to me a couple of days ago. I responded. We had some texting conversations yesterday exchanged uh, with the, I mean, she professed to be a member of, I mean, I don't have any reason to deny it. I mean, I don't have any reason to doubt her. I just know social media can make you look dumb at times. I don't like looking dumb. So I'm just saying this at 619 this morning. As far as we know, and if this 
um, person working with the Trump team or who they say they are, and I don't have any reason to believe they aren't, then President Donald Trump is scheduled to call in to wake up Carolina at 9.10 this morning. Um, that's about as good as I can explain it. And I'm always nervous about social media and people that I don't know, people that I've never met, people that I've never heard of. And I've never met, don't know, never heard of this particular person. But two days ago, woke up to a tweet. We, we communicated yesterday. And, um, and she actually asked, in, in the, how about 9-10? I said, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, we'll clear the slate. We'll do what we got to do to get a president or former president um, you know, on this show. So um, I'm, you know, I'm waiting to make sure we'll have our delegation hour, as we always do at 8, but scheduled, scheduled to appear on Wake Up Carolina at 9.10 this morning is former President Donald J. Trump. Take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays the eve of the South Carolina primary. It does feel different to me. I mean, I've experienced several of these, and there's normally a lot of candidates there's normally a front runner and then kind of an, you know, a, a couple of also rands who probably should have got out, got out in New Hampshire. But this is different. Only two candidates, one a former governor of South Carolina. And the former governor of South Carolina is trailing by somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 percentage points. Fox News Radio's Jessica Rosenthal is here. So I think she's in North Carolina. Am I right, Jessica? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, what are we, what is the, official media report of the day before the South Carolina GOP primary? Well, as you know, uh, early voting has ended, and it sounds like um, as many people voted early in the Republican primary, if not more, we'll get the final tally soon, than um, than voted in the Democratic primary in total. Um, even as you point out that former President Trump is, is ahead of, of your former governor there, Nikki Haley, right? And he is considered, what, a, a quasi or semi-incumbent. Um, so so there's a lot of juice here, right? There's a lot of energy um, behind voting and behind, um, behind picking uh, the nominee here. South Carolina has uh, a, quite a storied history of picking the nominee um, and does so more than most early states. Um, as you point out, the polling gives it to Trump, right? If you believe the polls, he's going to win this relatively easily. It's anywhere from 22 to 29 points ahead, depending on the poll you look at. Um, and, and so while he's been, on the one hand, campaigning sometimes in South Carolina, at other times outside of courtrooms, given his legal issues, Nikki Haley, uh, while she's also been in South Carolina, she has not just solely been campaigning in South Carolina ahead of ahead of tomorrow. She's been to California and Texas holding fundraisers because, as y'all know, she has promised that regardless of this outcome, she plans to stay in this race. She already has announced campaign stops in Minnesota, Colorado, Utah, Michigan. Michigan goes on Tuesday, and she's pledging to stay in this through Super Tuesday. Uh, it, it certainly does look like after January's fundraising totals, um, that she and her, the super PAC that support her, have the funds to stay in this. Trump has a lot of energy for and against. He's just that sort of candidate. Jessica, I think one of the most underreported things about this primary in the national media, this is not the South Carolina of 25 years ago. 
We were stuck on about three and a half million people for a long, long, long time. The agrarian economy, textile mills, kind of a simple way of life, the old South, I guess. And all of a sudden, people began moving to South Carolina from Michigan, moving from Ohio, moving from New Jersey, moving from uh, all over the Midwest to our coast. And we have a very diverse group of people living along our coast. In the weirdest way, I say it's not as Jesus-y as it once was. I mean, this has historically been a very evangelical-driven primary, not the case now. And I just don't think the national media understand that about a million people have moved here in the last 15 years that weren't born here, weren't raised here, aren't Southern by nature. And I refer to those folks as Giuliani Republicans. And I'll be very interested along Horry County, Georgetown County, Beaufort County, along, along our coast, what sort of turnout we have and how much support Trump has there. I just think that's been underreported in the national media. I think that we should have you on a show instead of you <laughs> having me on your show, um, because that, that actually is really insightful, and I appreciate that. And you know what? I've heard that from a lot of states. You know, I'm in North Carolina now, as you just noted. Georgia has much the same story. I've heard from uh, reporters there as well that they, they, they've said the same thing. I think in 2022, um, an Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter said the same thing. She said, I don't think y'all understand how many people have moved here. It's a completely different electorate. And as you just said, maybe Jesus-y, maybe that's evangelical. Um, it is different. I think the New York Times said that you all have 372,000 more voters who are of voting age who've moved in since Nikki Haley left office. Um, much to your point, that it's just a completely different makeup. You know, the pandemic, as you know, changed a lot of things. We've seen California, New York, Illinois, they've all lost congressional um, representatives, while other places like Florida and Texas uh, are gaining. So certainly people are moving to Sunbelt states and and certainly the southeast. So I'll be be, uh, interested to hear your take on uh, Sunday morning. Thank you very much, Jessica. Have a great day. You too. I just don't think the national media, I mean, they're not as interested. I mean, this would be a, um, I don't want to say a statistical discussion, but it's very interesting to me. And I go back to 2010. One of the brightest people I know in politics told me in 2010, hey, you still got to camp out in Greenville, but there'll be a day sooner than later that the balance of power will shift to the coast in Republican primaries, and it won't be as evangelical. I've coined the phrase Jesus-y. I mean, I think you know what I mean when I, when I say that. They're just not as fundamental, not as traditional, not as Southern as, um, as we are. And I keep using the uh, example of Pauly's Island. I mean, I spend a lot of weekends in Pauly's Island, and there's this little place I go uh, called Teakwoods. It's Teakwoods Bar and Grill. It's a little place with a bunch of TVs and football and whatnot. Um, there's one television on SEC football. There's six televisions on Big Ten football. And there's somebody wanted to watch the Rutgers-Boston College lacrosse match. And I'm going by, go back home. I mean, this is SEC, ACC country. Go back mm-hmm. home. But it's too late for that. Maybe when Trump, if Trump calls at 910, scheduled to call in at 910 is President Donald Trump. If Trump calls in, maybe we can get a wall built around our state. Maybe if we can't get that wall on the southern border, we're full Five and a half million is about all we can stand yeah. here in good old South Carolina. I'm kidding. We're heading. I mean, I told Jay yesterday, Jay Jordan and I were talking about some other things yesterday, and I said, I'm telling you, you guys will govern a state. You may not be there that long. I don't know any, have any idea what Jay's plans are. I said, but I mean, the, a general assembly in the next 
15 years, 20 years, and the next 20 years will govern a, a state with seven and a half, eight million people in it. And half will not have grown up here. Let's go to the phone. Rick in Florence. Hi, Rick. You're on. Hey, love you guys. Two, two questions. One's very important. I drive upstate uh, quite often, and I go down towards Volvo. I'm a supplier rep, and I need to know what stations I can listen to you guys on. I'm about three to four miles, and I lose you. So I need to know what station I can pick you up on. And the second question is, do you really think Biden's going to be able to stand up there on stage with Trump and debate him? No. Uh, thank you, Rick. Appreciate your loyal listenership. I don't think there's any way. Roger said it earlier this week, and, and Roger's kind of commonsensical as I am. I don't see any way he makes it until November. Now, now, I got no clue how you unwind it. I mean, we're talking about business. When a business goes south, what does the unwind look like? Um, we always lay down on, on the table. You know, when my partners and I discuss doing a potential business deal, we play out unwinding it. What if it doesn't work? I mean, what does that look like? I um, mean, we, you know, we don't like talking about that. Isn't fun talking about that, but you got to discuss, okay, what if we do this and it fails? What does the unwind look like? What does the other side of success look like? I don't think Biden's the nominee, but I got no idea how you get to the right other person. Um, the most loyal, we're talking about African-American males. The most loyal voter the Democrats have is the African-American female. I mean, it's unquestionable. That is the most loyal voter Democrats have. What is our lieutenant, excuse me, what is our vice president today? An African-American female. She's not electable. She's not as good a candidate as Joe Biden. I guess she brings the age contrast and then it in two old white guys, but her likabilities, I mean, they're, they're terrible. She's not an impressive candidate. Biden picked her. Why? African-American females. They weren't enthusiastic about Biden's presidency, so they he went and got one of them. I mean, let's call it what it is. And that probably did create some energy within the African-American female voting base. But if you go to Gavin Newsom, how do you make up to the African-American females? How do you make up to African-Americans in general? I mean, the vice president's sitting there, standing there, waiting there. And rest assured, Kamala Harris understands the situation that Joe Biden finds himself in. They released a two-minute video yesterday with 29 cuts. That tells the majority of us that he can't speak for any longer than about five or six or seven seconds. And they get, there's another camera angle. You don't do that in a two-minute video. I mean, the, the, these, you know, I'm the man. I'm doing the best, you know. I mean, I'm, 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 I mean, like William says, the greatest economy. Fuel's going down. You know, more people are working. Income's up. Wage, ah, blah, 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 blah. But they did it in 29 different cuts. And all that tells you is the guy cannot speak coherently for more than six or seven or eight seconds. Um, the RNC put out a two-minute video of him really trying to talk, and it's un you can't understand it. I mean, you just can't understand much of what he says. But, but Rick, I don't believe Biden's the nominee, but I got no idea how behind the scenes the Obama acolytes come up with plan B. I mean, I think we're going to eventually end up with plan B. I just don't know nor understand how they get to plan B that includes jumping over um, Kamala Harris. How can Rick listen? 
So, Rick, depending on where you're driving, obviously our signals are uh, strategically placed, by the way, on I-95 and I-26. If you're doing that travel down 26 from the upstate to uh, the Charleston area, then uh, you'll pick up the show on Terrestrial Radio on 97.1 in the Orangeburg area. If you're going from there, if you're going north on I-95, you'll run into 105.9 out of Sumter and then eventually to 95.3 out of Florence and the PD. So those are the areas that would cover those travel corridors since Rick does uh, delivering and things. So those are the numbers, 97.1 around Orangeburg, 105.9 around Sumter, and 95.3 around Florence, Darlington, Hartsville, and the PD. And, of course, uh, worldwide anywhere uh, on the app. Worldwide, he said. Best way to listen to the stream is uh, just go to the Live 95.3 page and there's a, a, a tune genie player it's called at the bottom of the page it'll come up and just hit the little arrow it'll start playing streaming anytime and that's live 953.com we'll take a break we'll be back in a few but it, very few of you understand the pressure that i'm under to have answers to every question that our illustrious callers call in and ask um i mean i my aptitude is limited as everybody else's is uh some of these issues i have I'm pretty secure in my answer. Some of the others, I'm not quite as secure. The one that I struggle with, and I'm going to get Rev and Josh in on this, and I'd love to hear from the the callers. There's a big question about Trump's electability in a general. And I, I mean, that's legitimate. I mean, you know, he scares off some of these historic Republican voters. I understand that. Uh, stubborn. And, and he motivates Democrats. Well, I mean, there's no, well, I mean and, 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 see, and that's where I'm confused. I am perfectly willing to accept that Trump, for whatever reason, stubborn, hard-headed, got your feelings hurt, just would rather take a pass, Republicans who don't support Trump. I mean, I'm not a Republican who doesn't support Trump. I've asked myself this question. Nikki drew a line and said, Donald's on that side, I'm on this side. I mean, she waited a long time to do it. But once it became one man, one woman, Nikki had to create contrast. She had to hit Donald Trump in ways that she thought were going to work if she's going to be eventually a, a contender. Um, but when you do that, you alienate a very loyal base of Trump supporters. I call them followers, and I don't mean that derogatorily. I don't. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be derogative when I say that Trump has followers, not voters. There is a passion. There is an intensity. There is a loyalty. That There is an attachment. There is a connection. I mean, it's, it's something I would, I mean, if I were in this, is still in the game, I would, Lord knows how much you want that. I mean, to know you've got a universe of people who under no circumstances will bail, I mean, that's, that's your loyal best friend. But, but the one thing I can't get my arms around, well, I mean, I'll ask this, Reb, if Nikki Haley were the nominee, do you go vote for in November? See, that's difficult. But 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 you it understand is, what a never-Trumper is. Right, right. I mean, I you, you're basically a never-Nikki. Well, I, I don't like the direction so she could, took. Uh, I understand I, she had to take it. And, and, I, and, I, I'm and, 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 and I believe, let me just say this, I believe she would be better than Biden in the White House. But is that good enough? Well. Josh. Yes. If Nikki's the nominee, all the things she said about Trump, mm-hmm. um, do you go vote for Nikki in November? No. So how do we throw rocks at the Never Trumpers? I'll tell you why. Because I'm not against being like when when the Never Trumpers are against Trump 100%. I'm not against that in nature. I'm upset because they're upset with Trump for the wrong reasons. 
And they might say the same thing about me. They might say I have Nikki derangement syndrome, but that's okay because Trump represents all the things I like and she represents a lot of the things I don't like. So I'm, I totally empathize with the never Trumpers. I just think their disdain for him comes out of uh, ignorance and delusion. See, but, but I believe this, Josh, and I guess having been an elected official and spent some time in the belly of the beast, I think I have a pretty good grasp of some of the opinion leaders and why they don't support Trump. I mean, he's a disruptor, and they built a, a huge machine, and this machine has to be fed, and they get the residue from the feed. That the, In other words, when the industrial military complex gets a trillion dollars to divide up amongst themselves, there are a lot of people feeding out of that trough. I mean, there, there's a, an, and he, he's a disruptor. I mean, when Trump said, and, and Tucker believes this, I mean, Tucker believes that Trump's a single-issue voter. I mean, it's all about the military-industrial complex. I mean, Tucker thinks it's that big. Um, he's an anti-war president. We can't afford, I mean, imagine that. We can't afford to have an anti-war president. I told someone a couple of days ago that if somebody gave me a, a computer and said, hey, draw up the perfect America first candidate, I mean, it would be some of the characteristics and qualities of Trump, but it would be a little more humility. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say a little more reverence. I don't know if that works, but a little more uh, a little less things said <laughs> that, that I find at times unnecessary. In other words, he's not the perfect computer-generated disruptor. I mean, he could be, I mean, he's a disruptor. There's no doubt about that, unapologetically a disruptor. But, but the one thing I can't get my, I think I get my hand around the never-Trumper who has a lot to lose. I don't want to call names, but I know, I know 100 people that I could, I mean, if Rev gave me 30 minutes, and said, list 100 people that you know will personally be financially affected if we have a unique disruption in Washington. I could do that in less than an hour. I mean, I could write 100 names that I know that some would be friends and some would be acquaintances, but if Trump gets elected and uniquely disrupts our political affairs, their lives are fundamentally different. I mean, I understand that. I am well aware of the danger that that brings to their being a member of the golf course and having two SUVs and having a beach house and all the, I mean, I, I you know, that that's self-preservation. And we've all admitted that to some degree we're that what, what I don't understand and what I'm, what I'm trying to get to the bottom of, because we're going to end up with Trump as our nominee and the, uh, the, the, the unelectability factor is going to be a part of this. How much of this is Trump not being as electable as Haley and how much of this is, the 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 not for profits that traffic in unsolicited mail in ballots and ba- ballot harvesting and drop boxes. See, I don't, I don't, I can't get my head around that. Um, well, Trump's lost all these election cycles. I mean, everything he touches turns to crap. I mean, you've heard that from the national media. Um, I mean, yeah, he the the Republican base loves him in in, in high numbers. But once he gets out of that universe, the, he and his candidates struggle. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's some truth there. I mean, I don't deny that. He's a polarizing political figure. Polarizing political figures cut both ways. They always have. They always will. But how much of the Trump electability factor is in the hands of the RNC being so outpaced with these 501c3s that concentrate on unsupervised mail-in ballots? 
I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm concerned that I don't know the answer to that. I'm bothered. I'm worried. I'm nervous about some of these states and how far I think the Republicans are behind the Democrats. And I believe that to some degree, Trump's been a scapegoat because the RNC is so inept at competing with the Democrats. And I'm talking about in some of these swing states. I'm not, I mean, Bird talked about how proud he was of what they've done in, in Marlboro County. Bird deserves a lot of credit. Worked his behind off to make sure every Republican voted in, in Marlboro County. But I don't think we're doing that in some of these blue states. I think some of these purple states is what I'm referring to, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. I'm afraid that they blame Trump's electability for a lot of the issues the RNC has for not keeping up with these 501c3s that raise enormous amounts of money, take big contributions from liberal donors, and, and execute far more precisely than Republicans do the unsupervised mail-in ballot aspect of the post-COVID uh, elections. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937, our number. Great. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. David and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hello, you're on the air. Good morning, y'all. How you doing? Good morning. Uh, excellent sermon this morning, Reverend Art, as always. <laughs> wish everybody could be given multiple amens. I believe if your show was nationwide like Joe Rogan or somebody else, I believe that things would be a lot different. I've, all, I've always said that the Democrats stay in power because of the uninformed and the ignorant. But sadly, the Republican Party has, seems like, just as many in it. You know, I, I'll tell you I'm a Trump voter. I will always be one. And as far as, you know, what y'all were discussing just a minute ago about that Nikki Haley, you know, the more you find out about her, um, let's say this is a family show. So let's just say Nikki's uh, Jeb Bush with breasts. That's the way I look at it, because I I think the Bush family money is all up behind her. Carl Rove is probably slithering around somewhere. You see Chris Sununu, you know, who his daddy was joined at the hip with H.W., so there's a lot of nefarious people behind the scenes, both liberal, you know, cathedral Republicans and cathedral Democrats that are supporting her. You know, like I tell people, you want to know who to vote for? Just vote for the opposite of who the mainstream media. Uh, no, I said you, you vote for the one that the mainstream media is crucifying. You, you know, they, they love Haley. You know, if they say anything negative, it's, it's not a whole lot. Um, you know, there's several things that could be brought up, you know, that – Maybe you know more about this than I do, but back in the day, you know, the, the accusations about Will Folks and whoever that other lobbyist was. Larry Marchant. That was Larry Marchant. Yeah. Worked for Andre. Exactly. You don't you don't see anything about that. But the, the second she becomes the nominee, you, you the the nation will be introduced to Will Folks and Larry Marchant. Oh yeah, but but the thing I was getting at is is. You know, I used to get these uh, flyers all the time from the, uh, uh, what is it, America for Progress or something like that, Charles Koch's group. Prosperity. Now, every, yes, Americans for Prosperity. That's right. Now everything is S- SFA group or SFA alliance. Well, everybody that gets those, how about uh, do, a Google, uh, do a Google map search with that address? Because everything I come up with is a mattress world in Houston, Texas. So, I mean, and, and, and if you do a search on the website, it, uh, everybody that's on there, it, you know, pardon my French, but, I mean, it's a whorehouse of cathedral custodians. All they are is just, you know, somebody you can pay to, to run your campaign. 
and and it just it, it frightens me that, to think that everybody, you know, just like watching that town hall Sunday with that uh, John Roberts had. Some of the lame questions. I'm like, with the world in the shape that it's in, and she's wanting to be the leader of the free world. This is the best that you can do, you know. And I mean, everybody, you know, she wants to tout the economic in, the impact in South Carolina. Yeah, that's fine, but I, it really galls me when I have to go by that plant on the corner of Pine View and Shop Road in Columbia, and I see the PRC flag flying out front. You know, and everybody loves to tout Volvo. Yeah, it's going to bring all this economic impact to the state of South Carolina. But but who is the majority shareholder of Volvo? Is it Zhidong Geely? Uh, it's a Chinese firm. So is it really benefiting everybody? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not going to take up all of the time, but you delve into Haley and see who's supporting her. And like you said, first of the week, you know, what what's in it for her to be the sacrificial lamb? You know? Because I can promise you this, if it ever comes down to her, you know, my vote just being the deciding factor of her being president, she won't be president. She can go to Keowa Island and count her 30 pieces of silver like Judas. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, there's a radio show in that call. It's 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 globalism and intervention. Uh, that has been a very lucrative part of our economy. Take a break back in a few. We spent about the entire first hour of the show, imagine this, talking about the South Carolina primary, President Trump. Do want to give uh, our, our late rising listeners a notification. I exchanged some text messages yesterday with somebody from Team Trump and scheduled to call in at 9.10 this morning, President Donald Trump. That's scheduled to call in. I have run for office. I understand campaigns are not static. They're Stuff very happens. fluid. Things happen and sometimes things don't go as planned. But right now, as we speak, scheduled to call in at 9.10 this morning is President Donald Trump, I guess, to drum up one last round of support for the South Carolina primary that will be tomorrow. I don't want to say it's inevitable, but his nomination looks inevitable. Some of us have began or begun looking toward a general that includes maybe Joe Biden, maybe someone other than Joe Biden, uh, former National Young Republican Chair and the GOP National Committee Woman for Maryland, Nicole Ambrose is with us. Good morning, Miss Ambrose. How are you? Great to be with you. I am in great company. So honored to be here on this exciting day. Yeah, you're in decent company. We we accept the compliment, <laughs> but we are we humble ourselves before. So so when I talk about the general election, I mean I don't know what polls matter or not, but I do four hours of radio show and I need things to talk about. So these polls give us things to talk about, contemplate, and consider. What do you make of a Trump-Biden rematch, not a month or two or three from now, but today? Right, so far out. And what, you know, so many of us look at that, you know, horrific media week that Biden had, you know, the week of Valentine's with a her report and his stumbles and him not being able to, name national leaders and all that. And we know that the average of polls out there is that President Trump is beating Joe Biden by an average of two points in all of these polls when you combine them. Um, but I suppose there's a little brouhaha in the past two days because all of a sudden there's concern. Oh, there's this Quinnipiac poll that shows uh, Biden beating President Trump. You know, is, is there anything to this? And 
the fact is, you know, if you're someone like President Trump, who's super competitive, you know, you probably want to look at this race as being an underdog. You never want to take anything for granted, especially with, you know, some of the interesting things we have going on and how some states, you know, count mail on ballots and all that good stuff. You just want to constantly focus on being the underdog. Right. Um, but I got to tell you, with the latest things going on, there's a few few takeaways I have. First of all, this poll, which shows the first one in a long time, showing Biden leading Trump by um, a few points, four points, actually, if it's just a direct matchup of the two. If it's five-way race, it only shows Biden leading by one point. You look at the data, you look at the math, they oversampled Democrats. And you just can't be having polls that oversample Democrats like this. If you look at our national averages, Republican and Democrat voter registration is exactly tied. And what the largest group of voters is now actually independent. So, um, you know, we need to look at things that way. Secondly, in a presidential election, all that matters is how the swing states vote. And if you look at the six swing states that everyone's focused on these days, Trump is leading in five of those six swing states from anywhere from 0.6 to 8.4%. So uh, that's significant. The only one of those states where Biden has a infinitesimal lead is Pennsylvania. But I have to say we have to keep the on the ball here because the mystery of all this is despite Biden's really bad national performance, you know, barely able to walk across the tarmac uh, with Nancy Pelosi um, you know, we're clapping when he can make it down a flight of steps, you know, naming the Egyptian president as the head of Mexico. His poll numbers have drifted up slightly since that horrific week. We've gotten used to Biden being in the 30s, maybe the high 30s, but 30s. He's now averaging around 40. So that's still way lower um, than November uh, of 2020. Um for President Trump, he was oh, he was higher than that. But you have to wonder how who was thinking that Joe Biden is performing a little bit better than he was before. How can this be? Um, but ultimately, I say, put the two men up on a debate stage, and I don't even know how Jill Biden feels confident sending her husband out there to debate anyone, much less Donald Trump. Well explained. Thank you for your time, Miss Ambrose. Have a good day and good weekend. Great chatting. Uh, see, she said something, and I understand. And, and I'm going to give some ba- some bad news. You ready? I'm ready to be the bearer of bad news. I think we need to oversample Democrats. Okay, why? Because they're going to turn out. They built this turnout machine, guys. They're better at that than we are. You can say the election was stolen. You can say it's cheating. You can say we don't. It insults the integrity of elections. It doesn't matter. I've used this analogy before. Let's say that a guy, you know, um, I mean, I, I know who's on the phone. Let's say a guy breezes size walks in a bar, and he's up for a fight. I mean, there's no, and he's got a set of brass knuckles in his hand, and he's up for a fight. There's no doubt about it. And there's a baseball bat leaning in the corner that gives you a fighting chance. I mean, it gives you a better chance. Do you pick up the baseball bat or not? And I think the Republican Party has decided to not pick up the baseball bat. They would rather criticize the Democrats about unsolicited mail-in ballots and unsupervised mail-in ballots than practice in that or traffic in that in that practice. 
And I think we've got to consider that. So when Ms. Ambrose says, I don't trust the poll because they're oversampling Democrats, the last 33 special elections show that the Democrats are overperforming. The Republicans make it about Trump. He's the easy scapegoat, the electability factor of Donald Trump. That's not what it is. The reason Democrats are overperforming is they built this machine. It's not honest. It's not fair. It's not legitimate. It's not best for America. But am I going to get my ass cut or am I picking that bat up? It's time to pick the bat up. Let's go to the phone. It's past time. Uh, Breeze, we're talking about you. You're on. Yeah, brother. You know, uh, Ken, I don't want to blow smoke up your glutes, which, by the way, you should be training. But, you know, every time I hear these national this, national that, the first thing I'll say is, damn, kid, they ain't no smarter than kid is. A kid ain't no smarter than I am, really. I mean, he's probably a little bit. But and then the majority, good majority of your viewers are as smart as me or smarter. And it just makes me wonder how the hell they got there. But anyway, uh, I'll give you another tip for this morning. Use your dumbbells more than your barbell. Plant your garden and get you some chickens. And the other observation I have is, you know, I was looking at all the presidents that uh, went along with the, with the uh, cathedral. And there's only two that I can think of in my lifetime, and some may argue the point. But the two that didn't was John F. Kennedy and Donald Trump. And look what happened to Kennedy. And then another thing I've noticed, it seems like, now that I look back in retrospect, that oftentimes we get steered by the bad guys to where we end up having a candidate oftentimes or vapid to vote for somebody backed by the bad guys. Right now, Vicki Haley is backed by the bad guys. Basically, you know, Joe Biden was backed by the bad guys, and that enabled him to get the Democrat nomination for president. Hillary Clinton was backed by the bad guys, and that enabled her to get the Democrat nomination over who, you could arguably say, uh, the, the socialist was the one that the Democrats wanted. So, I mean, it, it just seems like we're constantly being played and manipulated. But my big question is, what happens if Donald Trump doesn't or can't pay that fine in New York City? That would be the question. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, I grew up in the business world. Mine was not a sophisticated business world. Mine was building truck beds in the middle of the back of field in a tent with no stoplight. I mean, I don't, we didn't build skyscrapers. We didn't borrow hundreds of millions of dollars. But my entire universe, Josh, was business people. I mean, it was men and women who started a business from scratch, who, you know, kind of endured. I mean, they, they nearly went broke two or three times. Everybody I know that is successful today nearly went broke two or three times, my father included. I mean, I, I've recounted the conversation. I mean, I was a little boy, but I remember my dad telling my mom in the, in the, in the late 70s, we ain't going to make it. I mean, you know, I, I went out and borrowed a bunch of money, built some buildings and bought some property and, you know, gas shortages and interest rates were, you know, 22, 23, 24%. I, I don't know what it meant to me. I mean, I, I didn't know how to grasp that. I knew my daddy was nervous. And if my dad was nervous, I needed to be nervous. You know, I mean, I, once again, my I had a very limited worldview. 
but but so so I've not been around many Armani suit wearing high flying business guys. I mean, nobody I knew had a jet. I mean, everybody I knew had a Ford pickup or a Chevrolet pickup, and they they wanted you to think they didn't have as much money as they had. I mean, the rev jokes around, but that, that's my world. You know, there's an old saying in my world: let those dicky khakis fool you, if you will. Um, you know, that there's there's plenty there. I'll assure you. But it was kind of a it was a humility, it was a humble existence, and 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 the people that did well in business, the last thing they talked about was doing well in business. They, they would have hardly never put their name on the side of a building uh, for the life of them. That would have been just not what they were about, not where where they're from. But but Breeze is talking about what if he can't pay the fine? I've got no idea what someone like Donald Trump would do. If Letitia James shows up with the New York State Police to seize his assets, I think I have a good idea of what would happen if something like that happened in my blue-collar business world where somebody had worked all of their lives to build a truck body manufacturing plant and the government targeted them and the government came after them and the government said, you owe the government this much money or we will seize your asset. It ain't going to be pretty. I mean, I'm not trying to be a redneck. I'm not trying to be a hillbilly. I'm not trying to be a cowboy. I'm just being a truth teller. Something bad would happen. Once again, I don't know how the Armani-wearing suit, high-flying business guy responds to some sort of situation like that. But from where I come from, it would not be pretty. I mean, it would be really, really, really ugly. And someone would probably get killed and somebody would probably go to jail. I mean, I, I'm not condoning that. I'm just giving an honest accounting. So I don't have any idea what happens to Trump if he can't come up with the money. I mean, I, I read yesterday that there's a, several ways he can come up with the money. What Trump's trying to do is argue. I mean, I got to believe there's some arguments going on that we're not hearing about or some, uh, uh, some negotiations going on that we aren't hearing about. But some of these properties they're finding out aren't officially titled in Donald Trump's name. I mean, they're tax shelters. I mean, he's figured out a way to take advantage of the loopholes. And that goes back to the, remember on the debate stage, when Hillary Clinton accused him of not paying enough in taxes. And he said, I don't pay enough. But it's, I mean, I, I play the game that you built. I mean, you built the model. I didn't. I've never been in politics in my life. I mean, you knocked on my door. You wanted me to make a donation. What did you do with that donation? I mean, did you did you go... Uh, you know, look after the working class? No, you build a tax code that favors people like me. And you can't change that tax code because you know the people that put you where you are need that tax code to stay in place. So so I, I don't have any idea what Trump would do if at some point in time in the next 30 days he can't meet that legal obligation and they seize his assets. I mean, I, for the life of me, that, that will be one of the most dramatic moments in American political history. If Letitia, and she said out of her own mouth, he'll pay the fine or we'll seize the assets. I mean, that's a scary proposition, guys. And, and it, it, it concerns me that some of the never-Trumpers who profess to be conservative in nature are not as bothered by that as they fundamentally should be. I mean, that's a scary, that's really what I said yesterday. And I tried to explain it the best way I know how. The, 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 the politics of 91 indictments are disgusting I mean, it's a witch hunt, it's unfair, but, but it's politics. The, the taking him off the ballot in certain states, 
I don't like it. I think it's unnecessary. I think it hurts the country. But but I understand it. I mean, if you don't think you can beat him, then take him off the ballot. I mean, there's some, I don't know, there's some <laughs> political extremism in that. But to, 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 to run for office and as part of your platform, convince voters that I'm going after Donald Trump and I'll do anything in my power to take everything he has away from him. And that's what Letitia James said. And she's a lady of her word. And you've got this nut of a judge who makes a decision. He's never probably been in, in a meeting with a bank. He's never been in a meeting with a business guy. So Deutsche Bank meets with Donald Trump. I don't want to revisit this. As we did it for two days. They have a very sophisticated, elongated negotiation. Probably took a year. I mean, they borrowed a couple of hundred million dollars. They're arguing over collateral. They're arguing over appraisals. They're arguing over interest rates and terms repayments. I mean, they're arguing over insurance and underwriting and some of the standards or not. They're arguing over valuations of property. I mean, Trump says it's worth X. They say it's worth something else. And they argue back and forth. Um, that's the way business is conducted. But you've got a, an AG and a judge who decide that you don't conduct business the way the, the bank and the business guy. We must bless it. It must pass our smell test. And this doesn't pass our smell test, so they find some outrageous amount of money, not because Trump misrepresented the value of businesses, but because he didn't show contrition. He didn't kiss the ring. He didn't bow at the altar. He didn't say, okay, big bad government, I'm Donald Trump, but I'm afraid of you. And whatever you say goes. So, yes, I'm sorry I did these things I've always done. I'm sorry I met with the bank. I'm sorry we had all of these negotiations. I'm sorry we conducted business. I'm sorry, Judge. You're right. I need to be contrite to you because you've got a robe and you sit behind a bench and you're the boss of the world and, and nobody, I mean, nobody gets to do anything without running something by you first. I mean, this is, that's what the argument is and the absurdity of that. The, the un-American part of that is what concerns me and alarms me. So, and then Kathy Hochul says, the rest of New York City's, or the rest of the state of New York's business owners don't have anything to worry about. This was a one-off. Well, if it's a one-off, it's a witch hunt. If it's not, every business in New York should be game planning on how to get out of New York. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Charles calling in from Gatlinburg, Tennessee this morning. Hello, Charles. Good morning. You know, uh, Ken, you stole my thunder right before the break there. I was going to mention that uh, Governor Hochul had had that press conference last Friday and stated that uh, these developers in New York, and New York's the fourth most populous state in the nation, so they probably have three or 400 big-time real estate developers up there. But she's told all of them that this this action against Trump was just against him, that they don't have to worry about it. Well, what she's done is admit we're going after him for political reasons and there's no legal reason behind it. So she's just as baddie as Letitia James and, and Judge Aragon Aragon. Um, in in doing this, she did state that she would seize his assets, seize his buildings if he didn't pay. Uh, that's what Letitia James said. 
But uh, Governor Hochul has just made it known to the world that this is a political stunt. And I don't see how in the world it can't get thrown out. Um, But anyway, getting back to the, the poll situation, it does not matter if one candidate is ahead of the other by two points or four points or whatever the polls are. It comes down to four states and how they vote on Election Day. And that's all we need to worry about. I wouldn't let the rest of this affect anything. Um, Nikki Haley is not going to be the nominee. But if she was, you know and I know, Dave knows, uh, uh, David and Sumter know. We all know we're going to vote for because we're not going to vote for Biden. We won't like it. We'll hold our nose, but we'll do it. But it's not going to be her. It's going to be Trump. Y'all have a great weekend. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. Appreciate you listening in uh, in Gatlinburg. I got to believe Charles is camping. Um, I got a truck, the camper, likes to do things like that. Um, the, 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 I don't know, the encouragement that I have, and, and I'm not privy to any sort of inside information. Um, I mean, I'd like to misspeak and embellish and say, yeah, I mean, I talked to somebody, and I don't talk to anybody in the Trump orbit. I mean, I talk to Kahaley. He talks to people in the Trump orbit, but I don't talk directly with anybody in that in that inner circle, so to speak. But I'm led to believe by some of the folks that I trust that this organizational structure of the 2024 campaign is much different than 16 or 20. I mean, I've told you, he hired two top-flight political advisors. I'm not a big fan of political advisors. I think the majority suck. I mean, they, they, they get paid a lot of money to be very average at jobs they do. It's all about the candidate. Is the candidate a good candidate or not? Drew McKissick says, you've heard him say it before, Thank God for people who are willing to run for office. Thank God even more for people who are willing to run and good at it. Um, Trump's a good candidate. Haley's a good candidate. But Trump played a little bit loose and fast with some of the organizational. He's the boss, right? I mean, he runs Trump Enterprise. He runs the organization that is the real estate behemoth that the family has built. But political campaigns are different. I mean, they're finicky. And they got to be managed. They got to be tight. You can't have leaks. You got to have people doing exactly what they're supposed to be to be doing. I told Reb, we tried to get Ron DeSantis to come on this radio show for two months, and not only did they say no, we couldn't get a response. I mean, it was the left hand didn't talk to. Her. I told Reb, I said that campaign's just not well run. I mean, I don't know how good a candidate DeSantis is. We find out he's not quite as good at the national level as he was as governor of Florida. But I remember telling Rev, I said, it's obvious that they're not running a finely tuned machine. You've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to stay after it. You got to stay on it. You got to be smart, competent, diligent. You got to be well prepared. You got to play out scenario A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I'm convinced that Donald Trump has very competent people running his campaign. And the reason I say that is you don't hear a lot out of the family on a day-to-day basis. I mean, the family is absolutely entitled to speak on defending their business. I mean, that's a little bit out of the, the campaign purview. Uh, when, when, when a judge makes a decision of 350 some odd million dollars, and I think the fine's about 87, the interest about $87,000 a day, I think the family should speak out to that. That's their livelihood. I mean, that's their inheritance. That's what they're in the business of doing. I mean, everything they are is attached to that brand, that business. You know, it's value, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's future, it's, it's potential. But I think in the campaign part of it, 
They're just so much better this time than they were in 2020 and 2016. And the one thing they're doing that I am most encouraged by, and we touched on this a little bit several weeks back, they have identified four and a half million likely Trump voters in these states Charles is talking about, and they are laser targeting those voters. They don't trust the RNC to do it. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know what the disconnect is, but it's obvious to me the Trump campaign does not trust the RNC to match the DNC with some of these, uh, you know, the mail-in ballots and absentee ballots and early voting, and they're doing it themselves to the point of when one of these precincts and one of these swing states has 250 people that they believe are, they're either non-voters or low propensity voters, but they've done some data, they, they've gathered some, some analytics, and they, they believe they're far more inclined to be Trump supporters than not. I mean, if, if they find 250 names that would vote in precinct X, they hire someone and pay them a salary, and their job is to go find these 250 people and let's figure out a way to make sure they vote for Donald Trump in November. That's Democrat-like. <laughs> I mean, that's playing like the American Center for Tech and Civic Life. I mean, that's Zuckerberg money. That, that's what they did so well. I mean, I've said it before. They either bought it or they stole it fair and square. And the Trump campaign are doing things very similar to that. And that just leads me to believe that this Trump has learned a lesson. I mean, he'll never say, yeah, you're right, I learned it. But he's learned a lesson that some of these things I can control, some of these things I can't control, i got to get real competent people and let them do their thing. And it appears to me he's hired real competent people and they're doing their thing. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone, and then Josh will take a break. Rujan in Darlington. Hi, you're on. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, Ken, you know, I, I'm going to put it to you plain. Um, if they go in and seize Trump properties, uh, they don't have to worry about Trump as, as much as they have to worry about the rest of America first. There would be a, a massive, massive march on New York and Albany and all around. You would see massive boycotts. You know, there, there's an old saying, if you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. Letitia James thinks she can run with the big dogs, but uh, she don't realize the can of whoop-ass she done opened up. Her and the judge. So uh, they better leave the dog alone while he's sitting on the porch and not bothering anybody. You're going after the man's livelihood, you know, and that's that's not good. That's not good. You're going after the man's family, and you've made it you've made it into not just a political thing, but you've made it to a personal thing. When you named him out personally, that's not good. That's not good with these good old boys down here. You can talk about you can talk about my cousin all you want to. You can talk about my cousin and mama all you want to. But when you start talking about my mama and me, you got a whole different problem. And so that that's what I'm looking at. They, they better be careful because they, they've opened up. A, they've, they've created a situation that can only be bad for them. That's it, and that's all. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Our number. Let's take a break. We got callers. We'll be back. In just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Tony in Calhoun County listening to WTQS. Hi, Tony, you're on. Hey, good morning. Um, Judge Ingeron and Letitia James are maintaining that Trump's mar lago property is only worth $18 million. I think it would be absolutely uh, hilarious and ironic if uh, President Trump 
used Mar-a-Lago as collateral to secure a $455 million surety bond to cover the expense. You know, I just think that would be funny. Heck, I'd probably do it even if I had another way to pay it, just so I could say, hey, look, it's worth more than $18 million. Thank you, Tony. You appreciate yep. that. I've, that. I've thought I, of that. So, so why would I mean, if Trump says I'm not contrite because I'm not, I don't, I don't take what you're saying. I mean, I, my property is worth what I say it's worth. I mean, the, yeah, I have to deal with the bank. I mean, the bank lends money. I mean, the bank says, hey, it's worth twenty percent less. I still believe that it's worth what I say it's worth, but but the bank has the money, and I need their money, so I go along with the negotiations. I'm not agreeing, except for the ability to make a deal that my property's worth what? I mean, who says the bank knows exactly what the property is worth? I mean, the bank's making an estimation. Trump makes an estimation. I mean, they argue over those two estimations. They do appraisals. I would imagine Trump does appraisals. I would imagine Deutsche Bank did appraisals, extensive appraisals, evaluations, analysis, cash flows. I mean, there are a lot of things that go in to what a property's worth. But I'm like, Tony, I wondered if Limbaugh's house down the street brought $130 million, and they're saying Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million. What if Trump today put a for sale sign in the yard at Mar-a-Lago and Elon Musk came along? What do you want for it? I want $550 million. And Musk said, I'll give you $450 million. And Trump said, half a billion and we're done. And Musk writes him a check. And the judge said it's worth less than $20 million? I mean, how stupid does, does that matter? Does it even matter that some of the practicalities come into play? Because I can see a scenario like that happening. If Limbaugh's compound is worth $130 million, Trump's is worth $350, million, $500 million, maybe more than that. I don't know what, what it's worth, but let's say Trump decides that i got to do something drastic. And the most drastic thing I can do today is sell one of the most premier properties on the planet. And he puts a for sale sign, and he hires one of the – these exclusive real, real uh, realtors, and they sell the property, and Trump banks six hundred million dollars, more than enough to pay the fine. But what does that say about the case? Well, the case was based on he overestimates the value of his property. But Elon Musk just paid Trump what he wanted <laughs> for the piece of property. It's the and, and I guess that's my frustration. People who know nothing about business having the ability to police business. I mean, that, that, that irks me to no end. I mean, it probably irks them when someone like me gets involved in government. I've told this story before. I get elected lieutenant governor. Two responsibilities I had were presiding over the state Senate three days a week and running the office on aging. I mean, that was a deal that Andre Bauer cut with the Senate back in the day. I mean, from what I understand, Andre is presiding over the Senate they have a break. Andre talks to one of the senators, may have been Senator Glenn McConnell, and out of that, Andre kind of said, hey, man, I need something else to do. I mean, you know, the lieutenant governor of South Carolina, I mean, if, if nothing happens to the governor, I'm just kind of floating around in the ether doing my thing. I need something to do. And the, the aging population was growing, and I think out of that came a deal with the lieutenant governor and the Senate to put the office on aging under the control of the lieutenant governor. So the lieutenant governor's office is in the state house. I think I had five employees. Andre had 10 women, but he's single. You know, who's, who's keeping up with that? Um, if I were single, I'd have probably had 10 women. But I wasn't. I was married, so I had five um, employees. But across the way, in one of these um, buildings, the office on aging rented space. 
the state of South Carolina rented space to house the office on, on aging. So I get elected, and my chief of staff comes to me two weeks after I got elected and said, hey, man, I need you to walk across the street with me. Why? I need you to meet with these folks at the office on aging. I said, we got to get Tony Kester. I mean, he ran the office on aging. I said, I've looked at what Tony does. Tony does a good job. Tony has nothing to worry about. He said, man, you don't understand. These people work for the government. And anytime a business person gets elected, they're concerned you're going to cut half the staff. I mean, they're concerned. They're, 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 they've got a job. They've got a livelihood. They got health care. They know how you business people are. You want to figure out a better way to do it, a cheaper way to do it, a more cost-efficient way to do it. So I had to walk over there one day and say, look, I'm not out to fire everybody over here. Now I looked around, and I went back, and I told Brand, I said, what do those six people do? Why are they there? I mean, I don't understand what they do. But but in the in the spirit of fairness and, and, and just getting there, you know, I didn't want to run half the people off in the office on aging, and they didn't give me time to run off half the people in the office on aging. They ran me off. So, um, I mean, there's always been this suspicion that business has of government and government has of business. But I think we've always got to understand, and I think Charles talked about this, who is the goose that laid the golden egg? How does government fund these wonderful programs other than borrowing money? They tax the private sector. The private sector is the engine of America's economy. The government is the oil. You hope they put conducive oil, good oil, good viscosity, high-grade, synthetic. Make the engine run good. Make the engine run better. Tax policy and, and deregulation and allow the private sector to generate as much you know, prosperity as it can. And government enjoys the benefit of a prosperous economy. But we've kind of inverted that. And it's almost like business works for government. And that's my take. Government has become so punitive. And Nixon actually talked a lot about this. The concern he had with government, and, and I don't want to insult anybody, the concern Nixon had with government, and Nixon was an intellect. I mean, Nixon was a very intelligent man. I think he fought demons. I think he had this weird paranoia about him. But Nixon was an incredibly bright man. Seems like all those really smart people fight demons and have issues of paranoia. and skip. Anyway, um, Nixon said the problem with government, you have small people with big jobs. Hmm. I mean, that would have been in the 70s. A lot of small people with a lot of big jobs. And if a small person gets a big job, they get this inflated ego, this inflated sense of who they are and what they're about. And, and we, we, we basically transferred. Because if you think about it, guys, passing a law seems harmless. It's a good law. Everybody agreed on it. Bipartisan law. But you know what it does, Josh? It transfers... Uh, 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 a degree of control from the private sector to the public sector. I mean, it, it just does. I don't care what the law is, good law, bad law, um, you know, a, a tough a law to get passed, an easy law to get passed. It still transfers some degree of authority, control, power, influence from the private sector to the public sector. And the more of the influences of our economy transfer to the public sector, the less our economy produces. Government, by its very nature, is inefficient. It's not going to properly allocate capital. It's not going to, to, to measure the velocity of money. I mean, it's just not. And we've allowed the government to become the kind of controlling element. 
I mean, it's not the heavy hand of government. It's the heavy hand, arm, shoulder, you know, torso. I mean, it's the heavy everything of government. And what scares the daylights out of me is some of these career bureaucrats enjoy the ability to punish the private sector. I don't understand that for the life of me. I mean, you're killing the goose that laid the golden egg. But for some reason, liberals enjoy killing the goose that laid the golden egg. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Want to remind again, scheduled, heavy on the scheduled part of this, scheduled to appear at 910 this morning on Wake Up Carolina President Donald Trump. Let's go to the phone. John in Argentina. Hello, John. Good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, and I just heard something yesterday. Uh, you might want to check with Trump on this when you talk to him. I heard there might be a new indictment coming down. It's alleged that he wants tore the tag off a mattress. <laughs> Jail. <laughs> he'll deny it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if he did, he'll Under deny it. Under a penalty of imprisonment. But uh, talking about the fine in New York, I heard the other day that they were considering appealing, and it kind of shocked me for a minute. I thought considering, you know, what to consider. But then it kind of dawned on me. I got a cousin that lives down at the beach, uh, very wealthy, very wealthy family. You know him well. Uh, he told me that the only thing in his name is a golf cart. And he's got a lot of assets, and everything's tied up in trust and different LLCs and stuff like that. So uh, I wonder if Leticia James has done her homework and find out just how much stuff Trump owns personally. Yeah, well, I've read that. Thank you for the call. Appreciate. I've read some of that over the last couple of days, and you would imagine. I mean, Trump's thought some of these things out. That's really why they're having such a problem with Trump. Politics is, I mean, I've said it before, and I don't mean, I mean, to me, this is a compliment. It doesn't sound anywhere near like a compliment, but I think the best way to explain Trump to most people who are passive or casual about politics, he's making a mockery of the mockery. He's making an absolute mockery of the already existing absolute mockery that is the federal government. I've argued with never Trumpers we got to protect and preserve these institutions. So you believe these institutions are worthy of protecting and preserving? I mean, I, I think they need to be just rooted out. I mean, I think we need to clean, I mean, just a, an absolute uh, detox of everything that happens in our government. I think our government is so lost and so full of itself and so unaware of what its responsibilities are to be and what they've morphed into that somebody like Trump is necessary. I mean, I think he is the absolute detoxification of the federal government that is required if we're going to save our country. Because, I mean, and once again, if you're never Trumper, I mean, do you trust the way the government's being? It's a little bit like, I think Nikki said two days ago, you know, make America normal again. When was America normal? I mean, is it normal to spend a trillion dollars a year we don't have? Is it normal for people to borrow money to go to college, get a degree, and then put that bill on the backs of people who didn't go to college, didn't borrow? Is that normal? I mean, there's nothing normal about Trump. America First is probably the most normal political energy out there today. I mean, there's nothing normal about Never Trump. 
What are you protecting? Endless wars? Globalism? The destroying of the American working class? I mean, is that normal? So we want to make America normal again. It goes back to the words, T-H-E, the Republican Party, or T-H-E-I-R, their Republican Party. They have no interest in the Republican Party. They're completely motivated by their Republican Party. Take a break. Back in a few. When most elected officials walk in a room, they think they're the most important person in the building. It's just the way it is. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the big personalities and big egos and people who think a lot of themselves run for office normally. Um, I confessed to my wife one day that I probably had a little bigger than normal ego. And she said, really? <laughs> really? It never dawned on me. I mean, you just stood in front of a thousand people and said, if all of you will do exactly what I say, your lives will be better. I don't take any ego or arrogance. Uh, you're a humble, a humble servant is what I consider you. So when Jordan walks in, now Rick and Bob ain't here yet, and Philip is taking a vacation day. I mean, I, Philip texted me and said, I can't come today. And I said, well, hey, let's make sure you got enough vacation days to take one off in February. He does. So, so okay, we're, good. you know, Philip's taking a, what is it called? PTO? Yeah. All right. It's yeah. a PTO day for a lot of form on Rick that. and Boss speaking at a breakfast, legislative breakfast. A legislative breakfast. So we're second in his world today. Um, but the always dependable and not here last week, Jay Jordan is, um, cause he's probably playing Augusta. I mean, where are you playing Augusta national Look, last all, Friday? I'm all you got this morning. You're so, I better be so nice. I'd nice. tone it down. As I tell my kids, just a touch here. Didn't I tell you, didn't uh, I tell you what the what the politician thinks? Uh, yeah, the world centers on me. Right. Uh, so, so be thankful. He, he did get the theme song. The this theme morning. music was spot on this morning, Josh. Yeah, thank you, he's, thank he's you, James Bond. Uh, he's James Bond. So anyway, uh, Rev, what would have been back in the day? I mean, I don't think they do it much now, but back in the day, there was an opening act, and then there would have been the, the concert. Mm-hmm. Um, weird, weird. Th- when my kids were younger, we carried a group. To see George Strait in North Charleston. Guess who was the opening act? Some chick named Taylor Swift. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. How did that yeah. work out? Yeah. <laughs> How did that work out? And we were so, I mean, I remember telling my wife, who was Taylor Swift? I mean, if we're there a little bit late, doesn't matter. We didn't go. I mean, we went a road, rode around. I went with her to Home Goods and she picked up things and put them back down. I mean, that's what we do <laughs> when we get married as long as we have. You follow your wife around at Home Goods and you watch her pick things up and put them down. And if she happens to buy something, you know what she does, Jay? She carries it back the next day because it wasn't quite what she thought it, quite, quite what she thought it was. So anyway, um, good morning, good morning, Mr. Bond. How are you? <laughs> Do it with an accent next time. <laughs> Bond, James Bond. Uh, I love the way they say Jaguar, Jaguar, Jaguar. Jaguar. So so um so we've got some confirmation. I mean, Rev was real nervous. He didn't say it, but Jay, he was nervous that we were being <laughs> snookered online. Randomly, I wake up two mornings ago. I told you yesterday. I wake up two mornings ago to a uh, private message on Twitter X that said, "Hey, I work for Team Trump, and I'm coordinating some of the surrogates and media opportunities. Here, you got a radio show, and I want to know if I can get some information, and maybe we can get President Trump to call into the radio show." So I tell Rev the next that morning. I mean, I wake up to the to the tweet. I say, Rev, some some girl, uh, some lady, sent a tweet last night that says something about Trump. And Rev's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, um, but now we think we've got confirmation yeah, and we're it looks comfortable legit. It does. saying that um, in the, at about nine ten, an hour from now, yep. uh, Donald Trump will call it. President Trump will call in. And I think it's pretty cool, Jake. And I'm going to get your take of this because I think politicians tend, Republicans 
they tend to be concerned about how much exposure they get to conservative talk radio. Because the liberal media has convinced Americans that conservative talk radio is out there, man. I mean, it, it, it's, it's out there. I mean, they, you know, it, it, these guys are rabble rousers and hell raisers, and you better be careful getting too closely affiliated. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've told me off the air that, that you think this is some of the most beneficial time you spend as an elected official, not because you and I are talking, but you hear from the people that keep you in office and yeah. hold you accountable. Yeah, I found that to be true in my own life. Be careful uh, if you hang out too much with the rebel, rebel rousers. <laughs> <laughs> I sit next to a couple of them here in the mornings also. No, I, I think it's been absolutely true. I can't tell y'all how many times I'm out in the community and I have people come up to me. Um, some, a lot of them, I don't even, I don't, I don't know. They're not, you know, people I've met before and say, Hey, just want to tell you, I really enjoy, um, y'all going on the radio on Friday mornings. It's, it's, uh, an opportunity for, you know, get a, a little bit of a insight into what's going on in Columbia or, or uh, in addition to that, to hear y'all's opinions talking about all of us, but y'all's opinions on what's going on in DC or the rest of the world, because that is insight into what you really think, you know? So I think we've been indoctrinated a little bit with politicians. They're going to give us that 20, 30 second answer that they think checks the boxes, but you can't really do that here. This is a, there's just, you, you talk too much as, as I've heard y'all say, you know, in, in the talking, I'm going to reveal what I really believe, even if I'm trying to cage it from you or hide it from you at times. But isn't that some of the beauty with Trump? I mean, there's danger in answering the question. I mean, you're told by consultants and, and, and advisors, hey, never answer the question if it concerns you what the answer may be. I'll give you an example. Robert Haley always told me, if someone asks you what the price of eggs in China is, your answer is government's too big and spends too much money. I think people are tired of that. I think people have seen through that. And I think some of the beauty of Trump is he's willing to answer the question. I, I think that's exactly right. I, I think you, you might not you know, always like the answer, but you're going to get an answer. Um, and I, I, my experience has been the same way. I remember years and years ago when I was first running for office, uh, the, the folks that advise you on those things, you know, t what's the answer? Term limits is the answer. We need term limits. You wouldn't have these problems if you had term limits in D.C. That's the answer to you. Poll driven, yeah. poll tested. You know, tell me about energy. Well, I can talk about energy all you want, but until we get term limits, <laughs> we won't have energy problems, you know. So, but, but Trump, and, and, and by the way, it, I, I didn't, it wasn't lost on me. I, I appreciate getting to be the opening act for President yeah. Trump, by the way, yeah. to be his Taylor Swift. Yeah. He doesn't have a clue who Jay Jordan is, but I'm glad to be his Taylor Swift. Um, so, but, but you're exactly right. He, he answers the question. Uh, sometimes he answers two or three questions in that same question, but he, he's never shies away from the, the moment. Has it taken some getting adjusted to? Because you, you and I have talked about this, and, and I don't think Jay minds me saying this. Jay said, hey, man, I think for a long time we completely understood the Republican voter. I'm not sure we completely understand who they are today and what excites them, what motivates them. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a Republican but but I'm not sure we understand everything that's kicking amongst our voters or your voters. I don't run for office, but your voters. I think if you look back in the sort of pre-Trump era time period, you're exactly right. Everyone understood. I, I think I've heard Kaylee talk a little bit about this. Everyone understood who the Republican, you know, these are the demographics, if you would, of the Republican Party. And the bad news is you're going to get about 45% of the national vote every time. You know, John McCain, Mitt Romney, look at the testing or the, you know, the results that came from that 
This is what the Republican Party is. Trump comes along, and now it, it, it has expanded um, the participation, um, and that that's a good thing. But it's also going to come with growing pains, just like anything else. Of figuring out, all right, we got a lot, we got new people in the room. They don't believe exactly the same as some of the people. Uh, there's some commonality, and that's the things you have to circle around, but there's going to be some growing pains. We'll say it. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim in Sumter, listening to WDXY. Good morning, Jim. You're on with Representative Jordan. Thank you very much. Um, Ken, you just said that uh, the liberal media is very scared of talk, uh, you know, conservative talk radio. And I think the main reason why is because it's really hard to censor something going out through the airwaves. And um, I watched a Tucker Carlson interview, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd take the time this weekend to check it out yourself, because I think it may change your perspective on this election. Um, there's this group called the Atlantic Council, made up of all these ex-CIA agents, you know, top heads of the CIA, four-star generals, and they basically control all the censorship on all social media platforms. It's them and three other groups. But the video is called um, Everything We Know About Mass Government Surveillance. It was posted a couple days ago. Um, basically, they they control the, you know, shutting down the Hunter Biden laptop story, um, not questioning the 22, uh, 2020 election. Um, you can't even say that on YouTube without immediately getting banned. So please check that out. And for Representative Jordan, I have, I have a question as a citizen activist. We're, um, I'm working with a large group of individuals who are trying to enact draft legislation to deal with geoengineering. Now, up in New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and now South Dakota, um, another activist friend of mine has tried to introduce some legislation to ban geoengineering. And by that, I mean the Democrats' attempts to block sunlight to protect us from global warming. And it's kind of fallen on deaf ears because I don't think that they took the right approach in the language of the bill. Um, but I want to know, in my state, if we were to come up with proper you know, uh, information with good references as to why a necessity for a law like this needs to be passed, A, how do we go about doing that? And B, do we even have sovereignty of the sky over South Carolina. Is that something that the state can even regulate? Thank you. Appreciate that. You, you lost me there. I mean, you, you had me talking about censorship and controlling the narrative. And, and I, and I mean, I've said this over and over and over again, the reason that talk radio is somewhat of a threat to mainstream media is there's no attempt to censor. I mean, you know, the, these guys take calls on the fly. Um, we don't run things by an editorial board. We don't have, an ownership group that says, hey, you can talk about this, but not about that. The only time I can ever remember having a conversation with our owners is there was a topic that was locally focused, and I had a real strong opinion. One of the owners called me and said, are you sure of your facts? And I said, 100%. Okay, good. We just want to make sure that you are 100% sure of the things you're saying are accurate. I said, I would never say something like that if I were not 100% sure of that. I mean, I've, I've argued that talk radio is kind of the last bastion of, of, you know, uncensored, sometimes not so civil conversations we have with one another. Now, when it comes to policing the sun or blocking the sun, 
I mean, I, that, that, that's so far above my pay grade. I think there's a little beauty in knowing when you're out of your element and blocking the sun just ain't one of my specialties, Jordan. Well, you know, the reality is Mike just walked in, and I hate to steal from him, so we should hear what he thinks <laughs> about some of these important uh, Mike, Mike not working. Uh, <laughs> You've tried that three yeah. times. Yeah. You know it's worth testing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Jim. That is um, so far out of my purview. I couldn't even begin to conjecture the answer there. That's the smartest answer all three of us could give. <laughs> yeah. and, and But I want to say this, because I know I can say this. I'm in common company here. I do believe, and both of you, I mean, I know where you stand on this particular issue. If you live in a world that you believe man is top of the food chain and there is no God in heaven, you could convince yourselves that we're in control of the climate. We're in control of um, the, 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 the universe and the galaxy and the great unknown. If you believe in God Almighty, I think you accept that there's some things my limited understanding is limited by. And, and I, you know, blocking the sun, what the temperature of the planet Earth will be 200 years from now. I'm a human being. I'm moderately intelligent. There's a God in heaven that put all this in action and what he has in store, what he has in plan, Mike, I don't have a clue. And I'm, I'm willing to readily admit that. Yeah. In, in particular on a question like, you know, the sovereignty of the skies, <laughs> I know they belong to him, but in terms of man's ability to, to regulate that, I just don't know. Very well said, Jake. Well, and, and quickly, even on the issues that we're going to continue to wrestle with, like we have at the state house, and I know it's heading to the Senate now, as we wrestle with internet content and what minors and things like that and social media, you know, these are relatively still new things, and we're going to wrestle with understanding them at a, you know, a more elementary level because they didn't exist 20 years ago. And as we try and figure out what to do with them, we're going to struggle through that process. We'll explain. Let's take a break. We'll be back at a call. We'll, uh, we'll get to the call as soon as we got two of the three here. Now Phillips on a PTO and I cleared it with, uh, with human resources. He has a few days um, left to spare back in a few eight, four, three, six, six, one, Oh, nine, three, seven. I'm a serious game face on. We're about to talk about serious legislation with serious politicians and Josh introduces Sheriff Buford T. Justice, the bandit and the snowman. Um, one of the classic. Darn right. I mean, I'm thinking to kill a mockingbird and Smokey the Bandit. I mean, if you wanted two of the critically acclaimed movies, that, that me, would be. Give me the bandit. That, yeah, amen. <laughs> give, give, give me the bandit. Uh, let's go to the phone. Sam in Hartsville. Good morning. You are on with the delegation. Good morning, guys. Um, Representative Jordan, several weeks ago, uh, Ken Ard, one of his statements, um, from several weeks ago, indicated that if he were campaigning to become governor of South Carolina, he would focus on two subjects, uh, enhancing the energy grid for South Carolina, stabilizing it against hurricanes and everything else. And the second one was he would eliminate the state income tax. What sort of appetite do those two items have for the South Carolina representatives, the legislative branches? Thank you. Appreciate the call. Jay. So first off on the, uh, the electrical or the uh, energy question, um, that to me is going to become one of the, um, if we don't act now, we're going to have serious problems. We've talked a lot on this show about how South Carolina is growing. People are moving to South Carolina. Um, and unfortunately through a lot of different issues that have ha happened over the last 10 years, uh, we have taken zero steps towards, um, moving, our energy system to where it needs to be. That has come to realization, I'd say, in the last year or so, 
So I, I've been in many, many over the last six months, especially discussions about what are we going to do energy wise? Um, a lot of progress has been made. I think one of the things that is going to, you're going to see um, discussed more regionally across the state are these regional options for, for energy, because um, the old model just doesn't work where you build these big power plants and they feed, you know, hundreds of miles we need to be thinking more regionally because the needs of the coast are different than the needs of the PD, and you can play that out throughout the state. On the tax question, you know that that's going to be uh, that that's going to be one of those I think will will be a long debate. Uh, on the one hand, everybody, if you sit in the rooms we sit in, Mike and I especially, and Philip when he's here, you know you we we want to cut taxes. We've been cutting taxes, you know, since I've been. Um, at the state house, we've looked for ways we can cut taxes as far as the income tax, corporate tax, you know, ways we can try and lessen the tax burden on the people of South Carolina specifically, and, and perhaps at times spread some of that burden to some of these out-of-state folks that participate in business and come through our state. Um, the reality of that, I, I think it will be determined largely on how these, how the data plays out over the next year in that we have cut the, the income tax um, in a staggered way over the over several years, and I believe what you'll see is a correlation to that tax cut to an increased or a growing economy. And the more that happens, the more we can argue and prove that there's a direct relationship between low taxes, good economy. And 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 I want to say this: it's easy for me as a candidate to say X, Y, or Z. We've all done it. I mean, everybody in this room except Reb has run for office and been a non. Uh, elected official. The responsibility to govern is a different animal. I mean, and I, Jay and I've talked a lot about this. Mike and I, not quite as much, and I've not talked Philip as much about this. I do believe that there should be a consideration about doing away with the income tax. The, the concern that Jay and Mike would have, and, and you better be glad they've got this concern. I wouldn't as a candidate, but if I were governor, I got to go sit down with the Senate. How do we pay the bills? How do we provide the services? And there's going to always be a nervousness that there's been this cash flow always there. It's been dependable. It's been growing because our state is growing. So if we're going to completely up in that apple cart, let's make real sure that we understand Tennessee, that we understand Texas, that we understand Florida. I don't think Jay nor Mike will deny that the likelihood of increased economic development happens. I mean, it's, it's, it's as friendly as you can get with state income tax, but you've also got to make sure that the, the projections of revenue are sufficient to meet the obligations the Senate and the House has put the, the taxpayers of South Carolina to look for. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the crux of the situation. It's a great question, Jim, and, and I've been pleased with what we've been able to do and lower the taxes um, even the last couple of years. Um, but the question is, for the core functions of government, how would we pay for it if we went down to a zero-income tax? And I think it's a great idea to consider. Um, but is the state ready to have a significant increase in property taxes? Is, is it going to be made up in the use tax? Um, how will we pay for our public services, for our fire, for our police, for our EMS? Um, I think transparency of where the dollars are being spent and how they're being spent is going to be just as important as where the revenues are coming from. Because I've never met somebody who says there should not be any public service because people want to be able to call 911 and have the police show up. And they can't afford their own personal police force for or their infrastructure energy grid, sewer, water, but the transparency and the accountability and is the dollar, are our dollars being spent as you spend them in your house where you manage by a budget and you don't spend money you don't have. 
and well, you're a business owner, Ken, if you couldn't make payroll, you didn't have the ability of going to, to ask somebody to, hey, can you float me? Because your employees wanted paid that week because they had their own bills to pay. You know, and, and I think, Mike, Jay had to step out. I mean, he told me to be here for a little while, but have to hit. I think he's got a beat and he's got to attend. Um, so it's just Mike I, and Jay in here. My, me, Mike, and Jay. Anyway, whatever proper grammar is uh, in that count. But, Mike, I want to I I dig into this a bit because I think there's a – I mean, I think you are one of the elected officials that could inspire uh, a legitimate conversation about the fairest way to tax the people of South Carolina. I don't want to speak for you, but I believe as a conservative – taxing productivity someone working for a living and paying a income tax is a taxing of their productivity the more productive they are the more tax they pay philosophically i believe taxing consumption is a fair way to get to whatever number it takes so if we can make up the shortfall in collecting a tax on productivity that being an income tax and 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 and, and shovel that burden over to consumers you know, you consume, I consume, ref consumes. The majority of people who make a lot of money consume more than the majority of people who don't make a lot of money. It's just the nature of the beast. But I'd like to see South Carolina explore. I don't want to say consider yet, but explore the realities of the math of what it would take if we did away with the income tax and replaced it with some sort of statewide consumption tax. Is that something you'd be willing to debate or engage in? I'd absolutely be willing to, to have that conversation because I think it makes sense. And I think our constituents, which I, I always go back to, what is it our constituents would expect of us? And I think that would be a reasonable consideration. I think the fatigue and the exhaustion and the frustration comes not necessarily at the state level as much as when the, our constituents look at what's happening at the federal level and they wonder, is there any bleed over from that when you pay your federal taxes and then you hear Biden just forgave another, what, $1.2 billion in student loans, and you say to yourself, I didn't take out those loans. Like, I pay my taxes, but I had nothing to do with you signing on the bottom line for that loan. You don't have the right to essentially not forgive. Stop with the word forgive the student loans. You don't have the right to transfer that student loan debt to me and to my neighbors who have worked. So a consumption tax is great, but we really do need to, to kind of pull the, the, the curtain back on the, the, the Oz, on the wizard, and say, wait a second, you don't, get to, you don't have the right to transfer that tax to me because it wasn't my burden. You know, I'm thinking about if you are a college-educated Democrat who worked hard, paid the student debt you owed off, and still vote for the Democrats, you're either a socialist or a well-educated dumbass. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a few. I want to go back to something that we're talking about. Jay's back with us, and I think Philip Lowe may be on the phone. We're playing the Gunslinger's music. That leads me to believe that he didn't yeah, take a there. full PTO, taking a half <laughs> PTO, so we'll give him partial credit. Philip, the floor is yours. You heard some of the conversation, or maybe maybe you didn't, but what you what you want to add, my man? Well, I'm calling in because I'm mad, too. I'm sitting down here at a dead gun Dollar General at Santee, drinking chocolate milk straight out of a half gallon, eating powdered donuts. You know why I'm down here? Because I'm selling my property down here. I'm selling my home. You know what? $9,000 a year property tax. I've had enough. I wrote him an ugly letter, and I'm down here cleaning it out. <clears throat> and that brings me to some good news. Uh, we're working on the budget this uh, this week, and um, we've got a tax cut of $500 million coming back to people for property taxes. 
Uh, never done that before. We're doing that because it's just gotten so bad. And and we've also got $100 million that's coming back in income tax. So we're, we're continuing to work from 7% to 6%. 6%. But I want to make it clear that our effective tax rate is 3% on our state income tax because we use the federal tax deductions, and they're allowed on your income tax for the state. So those deductions apply. You go to North Carolina, they don't allow them. Georgia doesn't allow them. Those folks have uh, have an uh, artificially cut. Uh, well, it looks like it's a cut, but they're sitting there at about four to five percent, and we're really already effectively at three percent. But I'm still mad about property tax. The man's eating donuts and chocolate milk. I think we should start a Save Philip fund. Um, and, and the dollar for your sugar here. Well, I mean, <laughs> Philip, stay with us for a second because I want to ask these two a question. I want to get to you as soon as they kind of respond. We had a terrible shooting in Florence last week. Uh, last weekend, if I'm not mistaken, a young person lost their lives to gun violence. And when I go on Twitter, it's, you know, uh, got to stop the violence, stop the violence. Uh, it's the guns, it's the guns, it's the guns, it's the guns. It's these uh, Second Amendment activists. It's these Republicans who won't vote against strict gun laws. Mike, I want to start with you because you're of law enforcement and you're a member of the uh, South Carolina State Senate. I don't believe there's a law that we can pass to stop criminals from committing crimes. And I'm not talking about shoplifting. I'm not talking about vagrancy. I'm talking about killing another human being. But we are dealing with a lot of gun legislation. We're talking about constitutional carry, open carry, who can carry, how they can carry, can a felon carry, how kind of background check. Uh, it's not a question, but there's got to be some commentary from the three of you about the tragic death in our town and the fact that some are still believing that we don't have enough laws to curtail gun violence. And I'm glad we're bringing it up, Ken. Uh, this morning I was at that legislative breakfast, and it was the, the county administrator and the city manager of Florence, and they were doing a great job ex- explaining the state of the county, state of the city. Uh, but someone pulled me aside and, and said, you know, you, you and, and Jay and Philip, you voted for that constitutional carry. Uh, but, but look at the shooting this past weekend. What, how are we going to stop the violence if you keep putting more guns on the street? And it is a time that I think conservatives and Republicans need to get a little indignant. I mean, with respect, but say, wait a second. Are you actually going to contend that a law that is followed by law-abiding citizens has anything to do with a 15-year-old who's shooting and an 18-year-old who's shooting who was trying to rob somebody in the first place. Uh, this has nothing. The laws we pass aren't being followed by the criminals. So stop contending that the laws have anything to do with what the criminal element is going to do. By the very nature of the fact that they are lawbreakers, they don't care what laws we pass. And I told this person, you know, legislation, while important, isn't going to solve the problem we have. There's a breakdown, my own personal opinion, there's a breakdown in the family. There's a lack of fathers in a house. And I'm not saying a, a family that doesn't have a father is doomed. I'm no way saying that. But my dad would cut my rear end if I disrespected my mom or if I did something to school that was dumb. Like There was a respect. And moms can do it too. But you take the breakdown of the family, you remove fathers, you remove any semblance of faith in God in schools about right and wrong, about what we should and should not expect, and a little bit of public shaming. If your 14-year-old or your 15-year-old is out in a car and is shooting at somebody or is buying drugs or is or doing things they shouldn't, how about a little public shaming to say, as a parent, are you going to get involved? When your kid is cursing at a teacher, 
And instead of saying, well, that teacher shouldn't disrespect my son and or daughter and tell them to take their phone, put their phone down. How about you follow a little resemblance of how we're expected to act as a civilized society and quit trying to blame a law that says a law-abiding citizen should be able to protect their family when they go to school, or they go to the mall, or they go to the grocery store, or they go get gas. I will continue to fight for every pro-Second Amendment bill for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves because as great a job as Sheriff Joy and Chief Heidler and all of our law enforcement do, I've been one for 20 years, we show up after the fact. We can't show up beforehand, and we're not there to raise children. Jake? So we, we had a tragedy in our area, and everyone is feels awful about that. There's no, no doubt in that. Um, but what happens in these situations from time to time, we see it across the country. We've seen it over and over. We have these tragedies, um, and we grasp at straws to try and cure what we think to try and find a cure for the problem that caused the tragedy. And Mike is 100% right. Uh, gun laws aren't the issue here. <clears throat> the issue of the heart is present in these issues across the country, not just the one we saw here in, in Florence, but the ones we see across the country. Um, I've said it before, and I think I can't say it any better than Mike. We make these laws. We don't make these laws for – we don't impose these laws on the, the, the people that won't conform. We're, we're infringing. We're putting these laws on the backs of the people that already follow the laws. Um, and, again, I've said it on here before. Go to Chicago. Some of the strictest gun laws you could possibly find, some of the highest gun violence you could possibly find. There is not a uh, relationship, a, a connection here between gun laws and, and gun violence. It's just not. The, the reality we live in is that um, the bad guy is going to break the law, and we see that over and over and over again. I have come to believe in my time at the State House, and I, I give credit to my seatmate, Philip. He, he, you know, he, he was a big believer in this before I got there, and, and um, we've worked together on these issues, and I've followed his lead at times. But, you know, I want the good guys to be able to defend us and to be, um, as, as Mike said, when the, when the cavalry is coming and they're coming as quick as they can, um, you know, we, we have to be able to remember through the, through the fog of tragedy of, of what are up and down to keep our compass straight. Philip, you want to add something to that? You know it. So what I heard was they had a basketball game. And one of the boys was apparently shooting too much. And I don't mean with a gun, but shooting the basketball too much. And it irritated some folks. And I believe it was an assassination. They, they went to the mall, found the boy in the car, and, and shot him dead. And then they left there. There was a picture that was on the mall video that showed what type of car it was. They didn't get a license plate, tape, plate though. And then they, they escaped and, and went down towards Marion and the Marion police department had a license plate reader and, and it takes a picture of the car and it was looking for that car. It found that car and then got the license tag off of it, figured out who it was. And they got at least two of the three people who were in there. I say all that to say that might help to fund uh, it through the Senate, some license plate readers for the city of Florence last year. And they got them Well, Sheriff Joy has been trying to put his up. They were funded through the county government. He has not been able to put them up because DOT said no more uh, putting up of these license plate readers until there's a lawsuit going on, until that's closed out. And so I just can't take that. Uh, I mean, we need that tool 
we could have caught those boys probably a whole lot quicker if we'd have that tool already out. Um, so we're going to introduce local legislation for at least for Florence County so we can get those license plate readers put up around our county to help catch the bad guy when they get out. Uh, it, this guy is sitting in his car, got assassinated. I don't know if he had some other weapon on, on board to defend himself, but there it goes. I mean, your life can be over in just a second if you can't defend yourself. You can't hope that policemen are going to be there every split second that you need help. So I support Second Amendment as strong as you can imagine, and concealed carry, open carry, all the carries for, for the law-abiding citizens. Yeah, there's already laws against killing people. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Uh, our next call is Jim in Florence. Hi, Jim. You're on with the delegation. Hey, good morning. So something not as exciting. Can you all address that $1.8 billion that was that was found and, and, and just give you all two cents on it? And then also um, the AT&T outage and how that may have, uh, I don't know if you all perceived a kind of an after action from either SLED or DPS, but if you all could uh give you two cents on that and how it affected the state's uh, response. Thank you. Okay. When do you guys want to tackle that? The $1.8 billion that I think that goes back to some of the miscalculating of funds. Some of the, um, I mean, I, I don't want to speak because I don't know this to be true. From what I've read, there's no money missing. There was a lot of clerical errors. And I think there was an understating of how big a clerical error was made. But I don't think there's one, Jay, Mike, Phillip, I don't think there's an extra $1.8 billion sitting somewhere that we haven't spent yet. Philip, you're a ways and means. I mean, you'd be the guy to kind of delve into that better than, than these two guys with. I mean, if you're dealing with the budget, the, the $1.8 billion that was found to be sitting somewhere, accounting-related, uh, is it there? Is it new money? Is it found money? Is it spent money? Is it clerical and accounting? You know, that's the second one-point-something-billion-dollar mistake that's been made up there. I, I can't understand how you can miss it that far. I, I think I would notice that in my own personal checking account. Um, I don't know for sure, I, and they don't really want to tell us everything. I think there's possibly that the money is there, uh, but they've not really come to the bottom line on all of that. I, I don't know. And of course, there was one point, what, $6 billion missing uh, last year, and, and we got our new Comptroller General over that clerical error. But uh, I, I know they're trying to look into it and figure out what's going on, but they have not given us an official re uh, decision on what's going on and where that money is or is not. But there's a, I mean, is there an effort to try and find out, Philip? I mean, you'd be in the middle of some of that. Is there an effort trying to get people on the record of who made the mistake? Is it real money? Is it new money? Is it a miscalculation? I mean, it, you know, you talked about somebody lost their job as a result of the miscalculation I'd love to see the House and Senate. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guru, but I'd love to see the House and Senate aggressively pursue some resolution to the um, not just Jim's question, but the money. And is it real? Is it phony? Is it clerical? Is it accounting? I'll try to get a, a better answer for you. All I know is they tucked their head down and would look you in the eyes and mumbled some stuff, and nah. it, that's not good enough. Yeah, that sounds about right. Either one of you guys want to jump in? Uh, you and I talked a little bit yesterday about the 1.8 billion. Um, but it does seem that when they say this is the end of it, it's never the end of it. There's always another page of the book, another chapter of the book. And I know the House and Senate have to be concerned about, are they shooting us straight or not? 100% uh, concerned about it. You know, going back, I think Philip 
brought it back to the comptroller issue we had last year, um, and everybody thought he's resigning. That's the end of it. And then what happens? New people come in. Well, maybe not. And so now we got to figure out, you know, what the issue was, where the money, if 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 there's any misappropriated. I'm like Philip. I've been told there's not. It's just accounting issues. But again, that's a that's a big number. Uh, and we're going to have to do some due diligence to get to the bottom of exactly what happened and, and what didn't happen, perhaps. And, Mike, this would be something. we got about 30 seconds. House and Senate, I would imagine, would be very interested in this. Right. And, and Chairman of Senate Finance, Chairman Peeler, we had a conversation. Our, one of our biggest concerns is if you have a lack of confidence in your accounting, it will affect your, it can affect your bond rating and your credit rating. Yeah, very, very well explained. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate the call. Didn't get a chance to talk about AT&T, but uh, we'll do the best we can to go there in the next hour. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I'm communicating as we speak, making sure we get. Give me a minute here, Rev. Okay. Uh, Philly right. and Philly and Rev. Okay. Sing or something. Yeah, we won't sing, but uh, that was our musical interlude from Sultans of Swing. That was Dire Straits, of course. Sound like a rock and roll music DJ at this point. But, you know, pulling the coordination and uh, logistics of an interview together takes a little bit of time and effort, and you're working on it. Well, here. I actually hit the wrong. Uh, Fat fingers mm-hmm. and small buttons. I mean, I said six six one zero nine three seven. They're calling as we speak, but they wanted to make sure. I mean, it's just a lot of moving. Oh, you get the numbers. I got you. Yeah, zero nine three seven. Yeah, that is important. One zero nine three seven, and I think I said zero zero three seven, and um, yeah. didn't catch it at the time. But anyway, <laughs> I think we've got it fixed and figured out now. Right. Uh, apologies to the president. That uh, you send the wrong number. Not, not, yeah, I mean, uh, send the wrong number to a lot of people. Just don't send the wrong number uh, to the former president. So uh, we think momentarily we'll have the um, the president, former president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, with us here on Wake Up Carolina. Holy, I send and um, the I wrong think number. they're trying to connect. Josh is doing the um, the producing work necessary to make one of these live forays uh, work, or you know, um, it, I, I still and it's a testament to you guys. It's not about me, and I mean this. Sincerely, I get a lot of credit for having a big mouth and a lot of opinions and knowing to some degree what's happening in in the world of politics. But we've amassed an audience that is significant enough for us to be relevant. So, um, and that's that's a testament to you, your interest in political activism, your willingness uh, to be a part of the game. And um, there's no bigger contest in politics on the planet than the American presidency. So I am honored that we have people running for governor. I'm honored that we have people running for the House of Representatives. I'm honored for all these very dignified public servants to come on the show and um, kind of discuss what they believe and why they believe these things. And um, Josh has given me yeah, kind we're, of the We're the just waiting for them. Yeah, I'm out. on the phone with them right now. That uh, It's the coordinator, and she's trying to connect. Him. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've got the numbers straightened out. I just, I, I, for my satisfaction, I went back and read my text, and it was actually – you know, the fat fingers, oh, 0037. No. Uh, and I normally thoroughly, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm real, I mean, I'm overbearing about that. And um, I apologize. Uh, and, and, you know, but anyway, we're working it out That's now funny. in real time and lifetime. Uh, and I do think, I mean, we're not in New York. I mean, we're not in Los Angeles. We're not in Chicago. We're not in Dallas. We're not in Miami. We're not nationally syndicated. But I'm extremely honored to have this chair and this opportunity to speak, uh, you know, to the president once every now and then, uh, but to you every morning, and uh, and we've amassed, to some degree, uh, quantifiable uh, uh, influence, 
Is that fair to say? I mean, I don't yeah. think you and I set out to influence the political world. Um, I mean, I've told people before, I had an office with a couch that belonged to John C. Calhoun. I don't know that I had anywhere near his influence but, in that office as I do over these airways. Radio is powerful. You give proper credit all the time because it's not us. I mean, it's the fact that people choose to tune in. And, and w- w- without you, we don't have a job. And Rev knows that. He's been in radio much longer than I have. But without, you know, the listenership that we've uh, amassed. And, and I tell Rev, if we can't win this market with conservative talk radio when there's no competitor, shame on us. But we've not only won the market, we've, um, we've created a product that I'm proud of. But I'm mostly proud that you have agreed uh, to participate in some way, shape, or form. And I didn't expect it to go exactly as planned i mean i didn't i never do in these political endeavors but um but josh is on hold right now we think with the campaign and sooner than later we hope to have former president donald trump join us uh as the south carolina primary is tomorrow it is very different to me and i guess in my time as an office holder in my time as an observer it's been (sighs) more questioned i mean who makes it out of south carolina who's the front runner how does it shake out at the end of this of this primary process? This is the first time that I can remember we've had two candidates, one a former governor of South Carolina that I'm um, coincidentally I got elected lieutenant governor at the same time Nikki got elected governor of South Carolina and Donald Trump, who is I think the force du jour in American politics today and I think we have the former president on the phone, former president Donald Trump has been kind enough to join us. Um, Mr. President, how are you, sir? Well, good morning. Thank you. Absolutely a blast and pleasure to have you with us here this morning. I've got, I've got, I've got a question, and I want to ask this if you don't mind. You have ushered in a movement. America First is what I refer to it as. I've heard a lot of people give opinions on America First. I don't know that I've ever heard you explain exactly what America First means to you. Would you do that for us? Sure. Well, when I ran and won, I noticed that our country – was being taken advantage of by many, many countries, uh, more than you can count. And any time we dealt with another country, they had the advantage. They were doing things that were bad to us, and we were giving them money, and we were giving them everything. It was always a one-way street. And I changed that. I put America first. I will help others, but America comes first. Like, as an example, with Ukraine, Europe is in for $100 billion less money than us. Europe is... It's more important because, you know, they don't have an ocean between them and Russia than we do. And it's just, you know, it's just a whole big, it's just a whole big difference. And they should be up, they should equalize with us and they should equal us immediately. So if you take a look at that, if you take a look at so many other things, we're always helping other other countries. Other countries don't help us uh, just traditionally. And we feel like the stupid people, but we're not the stupid people anymore. And when I was running it, I had it down really to a very good science, and they understood that. They really understood it. Like they asked Putin, who would you rather have as president, Trump or Biden? He said, and he likes me, he said Biden, which was a, a very nice answer from my standpoint because that's, you know, he, he got, he's getting away with murder. He's going to be able to take Ukraine. Ukraine would never have happened if I were president, if this election weren't rigged. We got the most votes in the history of our country. You know, we won in 2016, and then in 2020, we did much better. We got millions more votes, and uh, it was a bad thing happened. And now you look at the world, and you see what's happening with 
Israel. You see what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, the Israel attack would have never happened. The Ukraine attack would have never happened. These are things that would not have happened. Uh, Iran, with respect to Israel, Iran was broke. They had no money. I wouldn't let co companies buy. I said any company that buys oil from Iran cannot do business with the U.S. And we had things moving good. We had no inflation. Inflation was caused by a very stupid energy problem. And uh, so putting America first means using common sense because everything's about common sense and helping others. But before we help others, we have to help ourselves. Mr. President, when you began initiating some of these America First proposals, there was a resistance. And I think, I mean, you're not naive. I'm not naive. I expect politics to be rough and tumble. But I've never seen anyone attacked as much as some of the forces that are aligned against you have attacked you. Does it make life tough for Donald Trump and his family to be attacked on so many fronts by so many forces? Well, the reason they're attacking is because I'm breaking up their way of life. I mean, people, globalists, they make a fortune off China, and they are willing to sacrifice our country to keep making a lot of money with China. I wouldn't let that happen. I didn't let that happen. I mean, you know, you're affecting their wallet, but to the good of our country. And I've done a lot with China. We've taken in almost $500 billion in tariffs and taxes and everything else from China. No president, I say this in my speeches all the time, has ever taken in 10 cents from China. I've taken in hundreds of billions of dollars. And, you know, you have people on the other side of that equation, and they get, they get angry. It, look, we had a great four years. We had the biggest tax cuts ever in history. We had the best economy in history. Our economy was the best ever. Your state is a rich state now, mostly because of the things I did for your state. I mean, uh, I love that state, by the way. I've won it all the time. I've won all the primaries. I've won everything I've ever done there. But, you know, we made car, car things possible. You're doing a big car business. But we have to keep it that way, and we have to bring in much more because these foreign countries are attacking us. China wants to send cars. You know, I put 27%, 27 and a half to be exact, percent tariffs on cars coming in from China. If I didn't do that, you would have very little business right now in your state. South Is, Carolina would not be the same, I can tell you. You are the leading figure in America first. That's undeniable. There's no doubt about it. People, some like it, some don't care much for it. I am a big fan of what you're trying to do. I'm a big supporter of, of yours, but there are others that are seeming, seeming to kind of get on board. I'm thinking of um, J.D. Vance and Vivek Ramaswamy, and even some Democrats are starting to consider the idea of putting America first. Or there, is there anybody out there that you pay attention to and, and really want to be somewhat of a leader in this movement that you've motivated so many millions to be a part of? Well, I think we have a lot of people, but, you know, one I have to mention, because he's really a terrific guy, uh, Tim Scott is your senator, and Tim Scott ran a campaign, and, you know, he did fine, but I thought he was not living up to his potential, frankly. And then he endorsed me, and I put him along with other people out as spokesman. And one of the greatest spokesmen we've ever had is Tim Scott, and I called him once. I saw him just ripping people apart, supporting America first, make America great again, and Trump and he was ripping people apart with enthusiasm like I've never seen. And I called him. I said, Tim, you do much better for me than you do for yourself. He sort of left. He said, yeah, I have a hard time promoting myself, but I have an e easy time promoting you and things I, I believe in, things I 
you know, want to see happen. But it is a funny statement. I said, Tim, I can't believe it. You are so good. You're so dynamic. You're doing so good for me. But you do better for me than you did for yourself. And I understood it. He's a he's a great guy, and he doesn't sort of like talking about himself or something. But he's done a great job. And many there are many. You mentioned J.D. Vance. He's been fantastic from Ohio. And, you know, I endorsed him. And when I endorsed him, he was in fourth place, fifth place. And he went up like a rocket ship. I can say that about a lot of people, actually. But he went up like a rocket ship. One of the reasons I moved Haley, I was no big fan of Haley, but I wanted to give Henry McMaster a shot at being governor. And I was so happy I did. People love him, him and his wife, Peggy. But Henry McMaster was the lieutenant governor, as you know very well, and I'll, I'll bet you love him. He's it's just a great guy. But I wanted to give Henry the shot at being governor, and that was far more important than making Nikki because I had other people for that job. But And she was okay. But uh, Henry became governor, and he's become a very popular governor and a great governor. He's done a fantastic job. Never closed down your state. He's done a fantastic job. Does it feel unusual? Last question. President Donald Trump is joining us on Wake Up Carolina. Does it feel weird running against someone you appointed as UN ambassador in a state she was formerly governor of and the polls have you up as much as you are? Well, it feels a little strange because she said I would never run against my president. He was a great president. She said that for two years, maybe more. She came to Mar-a-Lago before she announced, like a couple of months before she announced, uh, and she uh, came there like literally solely to tell me that I will never run against you. You are a great president. And then three months later, so she's a little wacky. I would say that uh, it's a little bit different. I was never particular. I was never a huge fan, to be honest with you. I mean, the reason I did that with her, much more importantly, of the two reasons, I mean, she took over and she did okay. I would say okay. She had some problems. Uh, I don't think she'd be doing great as in the position that she happens to be applying for right now, which isn't going well. Don't forget, she lost Iowa in a record. We we won in a record. We won New Hampshire in a record. We won Nevada. And the way with her, she, she talks, like I watched her speech yesterday, and she said, so she lost two states. She didn't lose two states. She lost Nevada. She lost the Virgin Islands. And she's down in every single state. And sometimes by, I mean, Looks like she's down by 25 or 35 points, something like that, a large number uh, where you are. But if you look at that, uh, if you look at the uh, Super Tuesday, she's losing states by 90 to 9. I mean, she's down like 80 points and 75 points. And so I don't exactly know what she's. I know this. She's getting money from Biden. Biden is paying her money and she's getting money from Soros. She's getting money from all the radical left people because they much would prefer running against her. Look, in 2020, I got more votes than any sitting president in history. And there's more spirit now than there was in 2020, which is pretty amazing. Mr. President, thank you for your time. As long as you keep America first, and I know you will, we've got your back down here in good old South Carolina. Thank you very much for your time, sir. And thank you. I know you do, too, and I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you. Thank, Thank you very much. You keep doing a good job. Thank you. Former President Donald Trump Thank you joining very us. Much. Thank you. Joining us on Wake Up um, Carolina. Uh, I apologize for his accent. That's kind of an inside joke, right? Last time we had him on. I mean, that's, that's pretty phenomenal that, that we've had. I mean, what, what's the size of our radio market, Rev? Uh, 200. I mean, it's, not, it's not a top yeah. 20 yeah. market. 
and the former president of America running in a South Carolina primary takes a few moments to join us on a show not in New York, not in Chicago, not in Boston, not in Dallas, not in Miami, but the PD region, Sumter region, Orangeburg region of South Carolina. That is a compliment to you. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, I was fortunate, blessed, cursed enough to talk with him personally and individually. But but really and truly, the only reason that their campaign carved out a little time on election eve is they knew how many of you there were out there and how motivated you are to vote in a Republican primary. And I've never said, hey, go vote for this candidate or that candidate. I guess I have on occasions. Not normally I do that. But, but you know, I just say, go vote. If you haven't already voted, go vote tomorrow. And your choices are Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. I'm a much bigger fan of Donald Trump. Not that I have anything personally against Governor Haley. I don't. And I mean that sincerely. I just believe that a unique disruptor is what we need today in American politics, and there's no way to convince me that Governor Haley is a unique disruptor. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. So I have one takeaway for you from the interview with the former president and current, uh, I guess, frontrunner for the Republican nomination. Our primary is tomorrow here in South Carolina, but one takeaway uh, he admitted something that you've talked about on the show before that was just eh, it was speculation on your part. You know, pretty good speculation, but a speculation when you talked about why President Trump cho- chose Nikki Haley to be ambassador to the United Nations. And he admitted during that interview that he did that basically so Henry could become governor. And I've never heard anybody admit that. I mean, it was so obvious to me, but, but I'm an insider. In that regard, I'm an insider. I mean, I was lieutenant governor. Henry runs for uh, McConnell, takes the job after I have to leave town. They ran me out of town. I mean, they were shooting at me. I was hiding behind cars and whatnot. But anyway, <laughs> I fled successfully. Uh, I come back and do my thing. Henry runs for lieutenant governor. Nikki gets reelected governor. Henry is the first statewide official in America to endorse Trump for president. And I think Trump's kind of loyal to Henry and Peggy. And I think, I mean, I've told you before, it's late in the day. Maybe I can do this and get away with it. I think Trump probably called Henry and said, look, you were the first statewide elected official in a consequential state, South Carolina. First in the South Is there primary. something I can do? And now, personally, if, if, the, if I'd been there, I would have said, yeah, ambassador to Costa Rica. I mean, that, that would have been my preference. I don't want to be ambassador <laughs> to Afghanistan or, or you know, Antarctica. No, you can have somebody else do that. But, but I got to believe that Henry told Donald Trump, well, I, I don't really want to go nowhere, Donald, but I, I sure would like to be the governor. You know, I've been wanting to be the governor a long time of the state of South Carolina. And if, if you can find that lady over there something to do, I mean, the way our Constitution works, I end up being the governor. <laughs> and he appoints Nikki Haley as ambassador to the U.N. I would imagine the RNC liked that because they have a stale, pale, male problem. And she's not stale. She's not pale. She's not male. So it introduces a you know, a different sort of Republican on the national stage. Donald Trump picks, you know, a, um, an Indian female from South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. South Carolina has an Indian female governor and a black senator, and we're racist? Really? Okay. Okay. I mean, just kind of put that in your pop and smoke it, uh, rest of America. <laughs> we're, we're not a bunch of hayseed racists in South Carolina, despite what the national media tries to portray us as. But you're right. He admitted that he... <laughs> 
I mean, Trump didn't know much about Haley. And he puts her in that position. And I think Nikki acquitted herself well. I mean, I don't have any criticism of what she did at the UN. For whatever reason, Nikki decided that she needed to make some money. And she accepted the the board of Boeing appointment. I got no idea what was negotiated when Boeing came to South Carolina. I mean, there, you know, has, has there been, has the Post and Courier done an, done an investigative, you know, research journalist uh, uh, effort into the Haley Boeing connection? I don't have any idea. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to begin speculating on what could or, or could not have happened there, but I will speculate on things I have an understanding of. And it was always obvious to me that putting Haley at the UN was to make Henry governor, and Henry will leave the governor's mansion as the longest running governor South Carolina's ever had. He took over in the middle of Nikki's uh, second term. He two years of that, and then he you know runs for election, runs for re-election, and then is allowed to run for re-election again. I've just never heard Trump admit it. I don't know that he's had the opportunity or or the need. To, to, you know, say why he did uh, what he did. It's it's interesting because I watched Josh because young people find Trump amusing. I mean, they they, they, they chuckle. And it, is it a, it's kind of a, I don't know. I mean, it, this is weird. And I'm not even going, I know I'll screw this up. The, the, the chuckle and the look on Josh's face is kind of halfway, exactly the 50-yard line of serious and unserious. It's, it, it's, it's almost like, I mean, my, my, one of my kids will text me and, hey, do you know what Trump said? I'll give you an example. Trump and Rubio on the stage at a Republican debate in 2016. And Rubio says something about illegal immigrants. And, and Rubio's doing the RNC playbook. I mean, this is how you win primaries. I mean, they, you know, I, I, I've got checks in the box. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a qualified candidate. Rubio says what all Republicans say. There's only one person on this stage that has ever employed illegal immigrants. And Trump just yells out, just disrespectfully yells out, there's only one person on this stage that has ever hired employees. And then he says, and then that's not good enough. I mean, that should be, okay, wow, that, that was unexpected. Yeah, that's, but that's the drop the mic moment. That, exactly. No, not with him. I mean, there's another stanza. He also, after that, because I mean, everybody in the, in the audience is going like, we don't do this at Republican debates. We don't do this. The donor cloud, we don't, we're offended. You don't do that, Donald. This is reverent. I mean, this is Brett Baer and Chris Wallace, and you know this is serious biz. And so Trump just yells out, "There's only one person on this stage that ever hired anybody." That's the mic drop moment. But then he says, "Little Marco over there is having trouble with his credit cards and etc." <laughs> and my son goes, "Daddy, he said etc." <laughs> I mean, that, that's you don't. I mean, that's so it's somewhere between serious and unserious because Rubio had got in some trouble charging on his campaign credit card some personal expenses. Now, he said, pull the wrong card. I got no idea. I mean, there was never an investigation. I don't have any idea if Rubio meant to put personal. Well, I, it gets complicated. I've lived in that world. I, it gets real complicated. What's mine? What's theirs? What I can do? What I can't do? But anyway, Trump, and it's not that he said only one person on the stage has hired anybody. It's not that he said little Marco's having trouble with his. I mean, both of those would be cr- he said, etc. And I just think we as the consuming political public go like, what the hell does that mean? I mean, how do you add etc. at the end of that? And I think Josh and his generation 
find it to be so atypical. He's such a breath of, of fresh air. And, and I think Josh is sitting there. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I want him to do it. I think Josh is sitting there saying himself, subconsciously, hey, wonder what he'll say next. I mean, wonder what will come out of his mouth in, in two seconds or three. Am I, am I close, Josh? I was on my toes. This, that was the most <laughs> exciting thing ever. Like, and, and I'll be honest, I was a little concerned with, you know, like how this interview kind of came to be, them reaching out to you. There was this kind of like you had to look into who it was. I didn't think it was a prank, but that was in the back of my mind. And when they called in, I didn't hear him at first. And I was like, I need to make sure this is him before I put someone on. And after listening to it, it definitely was. He was saying things I couldn't have even thought of. He was so good. And, and that's who he is. I, mean, that, I think that's what people desire in a politician. Now, now the never-Trumpers will say he's a phony, he's a fraud, he's a con man. Nah. Who it? To some degree. I mean, aren't we all phonies to some degree? Aren't we all con men? I mean, if we're not conning our neighbor, we're conning ourselves. I mean, aren't every one of us superficial and I mean, I die. I mean, I'll admit it. I mean, you know, a third of my existence is kind of acting out of play. I mean, it really and truly is. I mean, I've, I've, I've decided to be a part of a transactional world. And because I'm in a transactional world, you got to play a part. And some of the times it's easy to play and you like the job you're doing and you like the part you're playing. And at other times it's not, I don't like polite society. It disgusts me, but I can't be but so offensive toward polite society because I got a lot of bills and, and relationships and obligations and, and responsibilities. So at times in polite society circles, I put on somewhat of an act. It's not that I don't like the people. I don't like, I don't know. I just don't like the, the privileged association. And to me, the more Trump makes those people angry, the more I like him. The more he makes polite society uncomfortable, the more I like it. And it's not, once again, I don't think everybody in polite society are bad people. I think they play more of a game than I do. They're more willing to go that far, a little further than I'm willing to go to be something they really are not. And I think Trump just brings a degree of authenticity to the stage that nobody has seen in many, 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 many years and I think the day of the plastic candidate's over. I mean, I, I just do. I think the day of the plastic candidate is over. I think the public are looking for someone, no matter what you believe and what you say, they're looking for someone they find authentic. And I think there's a fair debate to be had about, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, did Trump go looking for this or did it find him? And once he found it or it found him, how sincere is he really? about the forgotten man, the deindustrialization of the Midwest, the working class of America having its issues with inflation relating to income. I don't know. I can't answer that. I mean, I can speculate. I think he's probably as honest as most of us are. He's, he's obviously a self-preservationist. Are you? He's a little bit hypocritical. Are you? He's a little bit inconsistent in his views of the world. Are you? I mean, I, I love the, the audacity a lot of us have of saying how hypocritical and, and intellectually inconsistent Donald Trump is. He's like the rest of us. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Dina in Lana. Good morning. You're on. 
Hey, um, I just had two observations and then two questions for you. Um, when Fanny was on the stand, if anybody didn't notice, when she sat down, she smiled and winked at her boyfriend. Um, and that was not, that was left out. It's on the, you know, when they, she actually sat down and they were filming her. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, every time you watch all the, look at all these social media, uh, pages and all of that, um, the one phrase that comes to mind is there are none so blind as those who will not see. I find it hard to believe that all these people don't see what's going on with this persecution of Trump. And uh, as for Trump, my question is, couldn't he take loans out against the Vegas property and the Mar-a-Lago property? Because they ruled that he can't do business with the New York bank, not the other banks. And then my other question is, uh, Ivanka kind of dropped off the scene a couple years ago. Is it possible that Ivanka dropped off because she's going? She could be put in that position. Is it um, is it the uh, moderator or monitor or whatever it is that the judge said he has to put in place to monitor properties for three years? And that's all I have. Thank you. That's a lot. Thank you. You've thought out through uh, thought through some of those uh, some of those things. I don't have any idea how he satisfies the debt. I mean, for I, I think he will. I mean, I think he'll figure it out. I think he's strategically thinking about, and, and in all honesty, you could say, well, that's a distraction from the campaign. His persecution is the campaign. The more Donald Trump is persecuted, the more likely it is he becomes president. That's weird. I mean, that in a normal election cycle or period of time, but but we don't live in a very normal political period or or, or significant period of time. It's it's very unique where we are today. So I would argue that the political persecution of Donald Trump is the centerpiece of the campaign. When it comes to him paying his debt and appealing uh, the decision, I, I mean, Trump is far more versed in understanding of what he has, what he doesn't have, what he can pay, what he can borrow, what he can lean, what he can do. I mean, th that would be a complicated, I mean, I would be doing you an injustice by trying to speculate on what he can or cannot do in regards to satisfying that debt getting it before the appellate judge, overturning the decision, and going back to business as normal. It's real. I mean, it's a very liberal state with a very liberal judiciary that I think insult the Constitution, but I guess they've figured out some lawfare ways to, to kind of end around, circumvent the authority of the, um, of the Constitution. When it comes to Ivanka, I mean, I've maintained, and I got this on a pretty good source, I think the two people that Donald Trump hired to run his campaign were adamantly opposed to the family being that closely involved. I mean, I think that was, uh, I mean, that, that, there was no negotiating there. You know, I think Trump has full authority and control over the campaign. He pays the bills. His name's on the sign. He just called into a radio show. But, but those two advisors he's hired are experts. I mean, they're really good at what it is they do. And I think before they took the job, they, they said, Donald, I get it. I mean, I, I kind of get the package part of the family. You guys can run your business however you choose to run your business. That's obviously not what you're hiring me for, but I'm not going to put up with designing a strategy. And the next thing I know, Ivanka, Don Jr., Eric, are out there saying something different than what we've decided in this war room of, uh, of Trump campaign headquarters. That, that's just, I, I got that on a pretty good source. It's time for some trivia. You ready, Josh? Pepsi of Florence is kind enough to support this 
you know, presidential calling in radio show <laughs> in a not so big market in the PD region. Somebody texted me a second ago and said, it's not the PD region of South Carolina. It's the Pamplico region of South Carolina. <laughs> so yeah, we're broadcasting live from the Pamplico region of our great state of South Carolina. And we, we've just there redefined our listening audience. <laughs> All of you live in the Pamplico region of South Carolina, whether you like it or not. Um, Drew McKissick is very slick in the way he says something different than he said four years ago, eight years ago. He says, and I quote, nobody has gone to the White House without winning the South Carolina Republican primary. He's right. But one person won the South Carolina primary but didn't win the Republican nomination. Who is the last person? to win the South Carolina primary, but not the Republican nomination. 843-661-0937. First correct answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. A couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirts, courtesy of our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Hi, you're on the air. What's your guess? Bob Dole. Nope, not Bob Dole. 843-661-0937, our number. Hi, you're on. What's your guess? Gingrich. You're right. Newt Gingrich won the nomination in 2012 and didn't win uh, the, the Republican nomination. Who is this? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Rick, and I'm driving through Marion. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you calling in. I'll get you back to Josh. Josh will get all the pertinent information from Rick. But, yeah, Newt Gingrich. Um, I mean, I got a Gingrich story. Rest of course you do. I mean, yeah, of course. Um, I, mean I, I endorsed Gingrich when I was lieutenant governor of South Carolina. That would have been in 2011. Yeah, 2011, he began his campaign. The presidential campaign was in 12. Um, the primary was much earlier in 12. So he was here in late 11. And, I mean, we talked a couple of times on the phone. I'm dropping names now. Big shot. You know, we talked a few times on the phone. And I just liked his, his expertise. I mean, I thought, I thought America needed, it's, it's, I don't know, somebody different. He was a little bit bombastic, not like Trump. I mean, that's kind of on, that's kind of interesting. We thought Gingrich was a bit bombastic. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Along came <laughs> 2016 and, uh, and Donald Trump on the scene. Yeah, if we only knew, Gingrich would be a tame and mild uh, Republican candidate. But he had a lot of experience governing, you know, a speaker, working with Clinton on some of the welfare reform, some of the balanced budget amendments. I still think Newt is probably one of the most intellectual conservatives that we have. Um, I mean, he's not as relevant. He's gotten older and he's not, I mean, I, I guess he's enjoying life. I don't know what he does with his time. He's written some books and he's advantaged himself in certain ways that former politicians tend to speaking engagements and writing books. I mean, that's what Biden says. The majority of his income has come from, you know, I mean, I, I guess there's value in what a former speaker says or what a former vice president says, I guess. I mean, Simon and Schuster pay, you know, uh, what am I trying to say here? What What is the word? Royalties. Ro uh, royalties, but or there's another upfronts, one. Upfront upfronts. money. Yeah, they, they pay uh, a certain amount of money up front to get you to write a book, and they'll, they'll get it to ghostwriter or co-author or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, Gingrich won the South Carolina primary in 2012 but did not win the Republican nomination, and that would have been in a, um, a kinder, gentler Republican party. I still believe, guys, and, I you know, I'd love to – to have a magic wand or a crystal ball and clearly know how many Trump voters will vote tomorrow, but really don't refer to themselves as Republicans. 
I mean, they are a Republican now because Trump is a Republican, but they're Trump voters. I mean, they're not Republican voters. It warms my heart when President Trump says J.D. Vance. Because I think J.D. Vance is one of the few that provide the intellectual underpinning that can honestly sustain a political movement. I mean, Trump now, but Trump not forever. Enjoy your weekend. Go vote. We'll talk again Monday morning.